The meeting of the Broward County Commission is about to begin. Will all audience members please silence your cell phones? For those viewing from home or on mobile devices, thank you for watching. To stay informed about Broward County government, please visit Broward.org or follow us on social media. County Commission meetings are open to the public. Members of the public wishing to be heard on any agenda item can register one of two ways. Visit registertospeak.broward.org and fill out the online registration form. Or scan the QR code posted in various locations inside and just outside the Commission chambers to register on your mobile device. A registration form must be completed for each item you wish to speak on. If you have trouble registering digitally, visit County Administration on the fourth floor for assistance. All speakers must appear in person. No further speaker signups will be accepted after an item has been called. Please show respect for others and refrain from making impertinent, slanderous remarks or personal attacks. Boisterous behavior, including applause, booing, and cheering is not permitted. Thank you for joining us. The meeting will begin shortly. Seats. 
All commissioners, please take your seats so we can have a quorum here. I'm loving the green. Okay. Commissioner Bogan, are you ready? Okay. One, two, three, four, five. We got five. Count of five. All right. Let's gonna open up our meeting here. Good morning, everybody. We're gonna call to order the Broward County Board of County Commissioners meeting this Tuesday, May twenty third. 2023 about uh, 11 excuse me 10:04 a.m. We do have a couple of commissioners that are caught in traffic right now so uh, we'll be getting with them hopefully they'll be joining us very soon but in the meantime we're going to go ahead with our agenda Matthew Dow to stand for the pledge of allegiance followed by the um, moment of silence and I didn't see Dana Pollock here did I see him yet I didn't Dana please come forward Dana's 50th birthday is today so happy birthday, sir. You're going to join us in our pledge, if you would, sir. If you please remain standing, it's uh, customary that we observe a moment of silence in honor of any individuals from our community who have recently passed. I'm going to start with my colleagues. Commissioner McKenzie, do you have anybody? I'm good, sir. Yes, sir. Commissioner Bogan? No. Mr. Dean? Vice Mayor? No? Okay, very good. Also, let us uh, remember the brave men and women who have served and continue to serve in our armed forces, both here and abroad, and thank them for our service. So please, a moment of silence. Thank you. You may be seated. Yes, Commissioner Bogan. Mayor, I, I did forget uh, one thing. I would like to uh, express uh, express no. my condolences to the people of Toronto because, <laughs> because our Florida Panthers kicked their butt in the playoffs, and now we're doing the same to Carolina. Okay. But I, so, do, yes, yeah, absolutely. I did, I did. Yeah, I did. But we definitely have to win with one more, just like the Miami Heat wins one more. So, so we got it. You're right. Today's music was uh, brought to, uh, to us by myself in honor of Memorial Day. So I chose American Soldier by Toby Keith and some gave it all by Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, I like those uh, songs, so thank you for that, listening to those. Today we have uh, three proclamations. Sen Senator, we're so glad to have you and be the traffic. You, take a breath, it's good. It's good, you know. <laughs> Oh, and Senator Geller, you showed up too. All right, very good. Thank yeah, you so much. The only thing is, he wasn't on the express lane. Yeah, he, he was stuck on that transit route looking for that housing out there. Over your. <laughs> oh, stop. That's enough. That's enough, folks. You need to move to the transit route and get the, the, house, the photo housing there, and you can catch okay. the train downtown. Obviously, I've lost the meeting control of it so far, so. So we're going we're gonna to bring it back, take a deep breath, and we're going to give the, the Vice Mayor a, a chance to get her breath. So we're going to go with Commissioner Bean Fur, who's going to celebrate Historic Preservation Month. And I saw Mr. Schwartz in the audience is with us today, along with uh, Saunders and Abate, Anthony Abate. Tony, right there you are. There you are. Good to see you, my friend. 
and Jonathan Axios. So I'm going to have Commissioner Fur present. Uh, if you all the folks want to come forward, please do. So that I can. Uh, we are going to be doing a uh, proclamation for Historic Preservation Month. And uh, with me is Derek Davis, Jeffrey Schwartz, Cynthia Strachan Saunders, Tony Abbott, and Jonathan Axler, all who are big parts of the historic uh, community. And we thank you guys for being here. You know, in the big scheme of things, I guess when you think of Broward County, you're not thinking things real old. But you do have some very important things. And they will get older. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, but there are, there's a bunch of cool sites in our, in our county. I think we have 21 historical uh, sites listed. Um, and I've been to, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them. You're, I've been to yours. Uh, and you need a marker. Yes, I do. And on June 6th, we're actually going to be discussing how to get markers. I didn't know if you knew I'm about so this. I'm that's on record. That's on record. <laughs> I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to say it loud and right She's here. She's a smart woman. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you, she's got this, um, the Carver, in Carver Ranches, it's all, yes, and it's got the whole history of Carver Ranches right there. But you need a marker. I do. You need a marker. So, uh, with this, let me, let me go forward. Um, whereas historic preservation is an important way for us to transmit our understanding of the past to future generations, and is an effective tool for economic development, tourism promotion, and growth management. And whereas historic preservation fosters local pride of place and of the many facets of our local history that contribute to our stories, and whereas it is an important to acknowledge the special role history, historic buildings and sites, and archaeology play in our lives and the contributions made by dedicated individuals helping to preserve, to preserve the tangible aspects of the heritage that have uniquely shaped us as a county. And whereas historic preservation identifies, protects, and enhances those buildings, places, and objects of historical and cultural significance in our communities, municipalities, and county, and whereas historic preservation is relevant for all communities and municipalities across Broward County and for residents of, our, of all ages, ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and all walks of life, and whereas historic preservation is supported within the county by the Board of County Commissioners and through the Broward County Historic Preservation Board by municipal commissions and boards, as well as by many other local preservation and neighborhood associations, societies, and organizations. And whereas this year's theme, People Saving Places, salutes all those who pour their time, their energy, and resources in ways big and small into protecting places they care about, inspiring others to do the same, now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the Board hereby designates the month of May as Historic Preservation Month, People Saving Places in Broward County, Florida, and encourages all residents and, and visitors to engage with our communities by helping to protect and support the historic and archaeological sites they care about in their local communities, municipalities, and in the county, signed by our Mayor, Lamar Fisher. Uh, and with that, um, I'm, I'm going to open it up to whoever would like to speak, because I know you guys have something to say. <laughs> uh, thank you. And thank you, uh, commissioners, for uh, helping us designate this day. We're members of the 
Brown County Historic Preservation Board. And when I think of history, one of the people I look at is an African scholar named Shekanta Diop. And he said in cultural identity, history, the historical factors, is the glue. It's the glue that holds people together, that brings people together and helps them to start working together. Now when that glue is a strong glue that's based on authentic things, it becomes a foundation to help to grow and develop your community. If that glue is not, if it's not authentic, then you will find that it will break away. But having a board like ours that are looking into it, making sure that we're getting authentic things, things that will help to inspire the community, we feel that history helps to build our society and build it in a stronger way. So thank you very much for uh, selecting this, uh, this proclamation for Historic Preservation Month. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, you would gather one, we'll do a nice picture with everybody. Okay, our next proclamation is going to um, recognize uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, presented by our own Vice Mayor Nan Rich, presented to representatives of South Florida Wellness Network, Broward Behavioral Health Coalition, and from our very own Community Partnership Division. So please come on up. Welcome, everybody. Um, I have, uh, let's see, I have a number of names here. This is especially, especially meaningful for me to present this because of, of my involvement as the chair of the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. And um, as you know, this is a, a problem that has just increased and is continuing to agree, increase in our community. And we can be very proud of the resources and the work that is done uh, in Broward County. So today we'll recognize some people who are the frontline folks. And uh, let me just say we have South Florida Wellness Network, um, Nicole Boxer, and uh, Kayla Calafiori. These are both youth peers. Uh, our Behavioral Health Coalition, we have uh, Tiffany Lawrence. Good morning. She is the Senior Director of Children's System of Care for Broward Behavioral Health Coalition and Ariba Johnson, Clinical Integration Coordinator. Welcome. And then from our own Broward County Community Partnerships Division, we have Ephraim Crenshaw, Director of Community Partnerships. Okay, and uh, Keith Bostic, of course. Is he coming? Okay, can't do this without him. He's Deputy Director of Human Services Department. 
So let me go ahead with the proclamation. Whereas addressing the complex mental health needs of children, transition age youth, adults, families, and communities is fundamental to the future of Broward County, Florida. And whereas the need for comprehensive, coordinated behavioral health services to individuals places a critical responsibility upon our community. And whereas the Broward County Board of County Commissioners through its Human Services Department, Community Partnerships Division, along with the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition and the South Florida Wellness Network, have a targeted system of care approach to effectively meet the mental health needs of individuals and families in our community. And whereas this year marks the 10th anniversary of the BBHC, Broward's managing entity, which contracts with over 50 providers to fund a comprehensive behavioral health system of care for substance use, mental health, and co-occurring disorders for residents in Broward County. And whereas the Community Partnerships Division is responsible for planning, coordinating, administering a comprehensive array of human service programs for children and adults, including behavioral health, HIV AIDS, and homeless services. And whereas the South Florida Wellness Network is a recovery community organization that utilizes a peer-driven recovery model committed to behavioral health and holistic wellness for young persons, adults, and families. And whereas the board recognizes the important work of community residents and organizations during this month to acquaint Broward County with the fundamental necessity of year-round services and support for our community, now therefore be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the board hereby designates the month of May, as well as every month, Mental Health Awareness Month in Broward County, Florida, and calls upon the citizens, government agencies, public and private institutions, businesses, and schools in Broward to recommit our community to increasing awareness and understanding of mental health and the need for appropriate and accessible services for all people with mental health conditions. And I have one for each of you. On behalf of the Youth Department at South Florida Wellness Network, we want to thank you, Nan Rich, for recognizing um, the Youth Mental Health May for Youth Mental Health Awareness Month. Anyone else? This is, this is Susan Nayamura. She's been here before. Many of you know her. She's actually the, the founder uh, of this important South Florida Wellness Network. And uh, I introduced two of the peers. These people are so important to our community today. They provide such incredible mental health care and recovery for recovery of people. And Susan's really been responsible for it. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I can't thank you enough, Senator, Vice Mayor, Rich, for everything that you continuously do for our community and for the young people that are really struggling with mental health challenges and for all of our youth peers that are here providing support to so many individuals that are coming through our Broward County school system and for Broward County, Cassandra Evans, Tiffany Lawrence, and Sylvia Quintana with Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. She is a champion in our community that recognizes the importance of funding uh, recovery support services and to the county commission who continues to keep showing up and really champion our community. I'm 
totally grateful for being a part of the Broward community because I think out of the 67 counties, we're the best. Um, and that's because we have some amazing leaders. And then you've been doing it for a really long time. My daughter is going to be 16 this year. And by the grace of God and your support, I've been able to be an active parent um, in her life and no longer um, a person that is in jails and institutions. So thank you so much. Anyone else okay, wish to speak? Gonna, we're going to take a picture. Otherwise, so if you all we're going to go come up here and, and I invite all of the youth peers to come and join us, please. Thank you all so much. Thank Appreciate you. So okay, our next presentation, I have the honor of presenting. I'm going to ask uh, Susan Lashik and all her team if they would come forward to accept a proclamation on behalf of, of course, Broward Moms Demand Action Gun Violence Awareness Month. says, whereas every day more than 120 Americans are killed by gun violence and more than 200 are wounded, with an average of more than 17,000 gun homicides every year. Whereas Americans are 26 times more likely to die by gun homicide than people to other higher income countries. Whereas Florida has 2,989 gun deaths every year with a rate of 13.3 deaths per 100,000 people, a crisis that cost the state 40 0.3 billion, not million, billion dollars each year, of which 875.9 million is paid by taxpayers. Florida has the 30th highest rate of gun deaths in the United States. Whereas protecting public safety as a communities they serve is one of the county's highest responsibility. Whereas the support of the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens goes hand in hand with keeping guns away from people who are not permitted to have them. Whereas gun violence protection and prevention is more important than ever as we see the increase of fire homicides and non-fatal shootings across the country. Increased calls to domestic violence hotlines and an increase of city gun violence. Whereas in January 2013, Adia Pendleton was tragically shot and killed at the age of 15 on June 2, 2023 to recognize the 26th birthday of her. She was born on June 2, 1997. People across America will recognize National Gun Violence Awareness Day and wear orange to contribute and tribute to her and other victims of gun violence and also the loved ones of those victims. Whereas the idea was inspired by a group 
of her friends who asked the classmates to commemorate her life by wearing orange. They choose the color because hunters wear orange to announce themselves to other hunters when out in the woods. And orange is a color that symbolizes the value of human life. Whereas everyone can join the campaign by pledging to wear orange on June 2nd, the first Friday in June 2023, to help awareness about gun violence and honor the lives of gun violence victims and survivors. Whereas we renew our commitment to raise awareness regarding gun violence and pledge, we do all we can to keep firearms out of the hands of people we're not permitted to have them and encourage responsible gun ownership to help keep our families and communities safe. Now, therefore, be proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the board hereby designates Friday, June 2nd, 2023, as National Gun Violence Day, Awareness Day, in Broward County. We encourage all residents to support their local community efforts to prevent tragic effects of gun violence and to honor and value human lives on this June 2nd. Thank you so much Thank you. for all your you. wonderful commitment for so many years yes. and all those folks behind us and so many more that are not here today to uh, make us aware of what's happening. So congratulations. Thank you, Mayor. Mm -hmm. appreciate okay. I appreciate it. How about our words of wisdom? Thank you. Well, we do have our first person. He's better than this than I am. See you. Are you good? <laughs> Lower it a little for me. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, good morning. My name is Nancy Fry, and I'm a volunteer with Broward Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. I would like to thank Mayor Fisher and the rest of the Broward County Commission on behalf of Moms Demand Action for issuing this proclamation declaring June 2nd as National Gun Violence Awareness Day. That being said, after the recent news from Nashville, Louisville, and frankly, most everywhere, and with the fact that gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children in the U.S., if we need a proclamation to make us aware of the gun violence plaguing this country, then we aren't paying attention. The first Friday in June has been declared National Gun Violence Awareness Day in honor of Hidea Pendleton, who, as mentioned in the proclamation, was tragically shot and killed at the age of 15. On this day, we'll commemorate her life and the lives of all victims and survivors of gun violence by wearing orange. Hidea's friends, who, like her, were young black women, started this tradition because orange is the color hunters wear for safety, which carries the message that people are not prey and should not be in danger of being shot. Today, we ask you and the public listening to make a note on your calendar to wear orange in honor of gun violence victims and survivors on Friday, June 2nd, which would have been Hadiyah's 26th birthday. Gun violence isn't just one thing. It's mass shootings, but it's also community-based violence. It's also domestic violence, suicide, hate crimes, unintentional shootings. And just as there isn't one cause, there will need to be many solutions to undo the damage of rampant gun violence that undo the damage that rampant gun violence has caused. But there are some basic things we can do that are crucial to turn the tide, like safe gun storage. We all know we are all safer when firearms are stored, unloaded, locked, and separate from ammunition. Our Be Smart campaign explains that gun owners don't need to choose between storing guns securely and maintaining quick access to them. Ultimately, secure gun storage prevents kids and other at-risk people from accessing guns. When we protect our most vulnerable from the dangers of unintentional shootings or self-harm, the whole community benefits. Please go to besmartforkids.org to learn more. And Madam County Administrator, Mr. Mayor, Commissioners, we would welcome the opportunity to partner with the county to make this informa the information in this program more widely available to all of our residents here in Broward. Thank you again for declaring June 2nd National Gun Violence Awareness Day, and thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning.
I just wanted to let you know that the Broward County School Board has issued a resolution that covers our Wear Orange and our Be Safe and Be Smart program. <clears throat> so that is going out to all the school children in Broward County. We'd like to replicate that through the Broward County Commission if we could. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that concludes our presentations as far as proclamations. We do have a special presentation. I'm going to turn it over as request of Senator Geller to do the introduction of our film branding. Senator Geller, you're on. Thank you. Um, I believe Monica will actually handle the actual introduction of, of Ms. Heiderman, but I just wanted to say, correct, you're introducing her? Okay, okay I just wanted to say that um, we're really thrilled with Sandy because we stole her from Miami-Dade and uh, borrowed, I'm sorry, borrowed. Yes, please, sir. Phil. No, we took her. Okay. No, right. we poached we're her. We're not giving her back. We just so, poached her. Right, we're not giving her back. Uh, from Miami-Dade, and as you know, you know, jobs, 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 which has been my continued mantra, and Sandy will tell you about how many jobs are actually being created uh, the wonderful film that maybe not the raw number, but the total number of films that we've been luring here and all of this other things. And I'm really excited that uh, we've been able to have Sandy Leiterman as our new film commissioner. I think you're going to be excited about what you see and what you hear. And let me turn it over to our county administrator. Ms. Sapiro. Thank you, and and so you just stole all the thunder, but no, it's just all that, good. That much of the thunder. No, no, no. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled um, to, to have our, our dynamic duo, as I will call you, because not only do we get one from Miami, but we got one from Palm Beach, too. So get the best of both worlds. And, and what we have um, um, in front of you is, is a team um, that is unstoppable. We are, are really uh, breaking through some barriers um, that have been created um, in this state. Um, you know, that, that we're getting recognized nationally. And um, everywhere I go, I, I get stopped, and I and I am told of, of what great work um, you both are doing, and, and uh, Sandy specifically, you know, about coming and, and bringing such creative um, um, approach to our film um, incentives and in our, in our, in our industry here. So thank you, and I'm going to turn it over to you guys so that you can then go forward with the presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, and good morning, Mr. Mayor, Madam Vice Mayor, and Commissioners. So thank you for that introduction, Monica. I really appreciate that. Today we're actually, I wasn't going to talk about numbers today. Today we're actually going to show you something fairly creative that we've been working on for the, about the last year. 
Um, we just went live today, and you're, you will have, well, we have the privilege of showing you our new website. Um, it is, you know, this industry is extremely visual, and we needed the wow factor so that we can get recognized. And we've been working, um, you know, very closely with um, the uh, Wonderlust content studios, as well as Lightship Media, who did the video, which you're going to see in a moment, that is on our landing page. And um, you know, we, we had to create a website that was th that was going to show off our diverse locations. And as well, the information that we provide is very important for the industry. Informa information is is king in this industry. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the wow. Christy's gonna we're gonna show you the website for a second, and then we'll go through that. But we're gonna I'm gonna show you the wow wow, which is the video. Ready? You wanna, we're gonna show it with music. You can do it with it can be without or with music. Media because they we work very closely with them and they were amazing on this. Um, so if you look at the screen, you'll see this is the landing page. That video it's on a loop and it's continuous. And so when you know page down, Christy, so they can see that we do have the, the logo, Brown County logo is there um, on the page during, on the bottom. But um, I'm going to show you. We have a lot of movement, but I'm just going to show you two pages real quickly. The about page. You'll see that there's movement throughout the entire. Everything kind of flies in. Um, and then you can go to, uh, you want to go to the, um, uh, yeah, that's our, our, our little, uh, we have uh, our film to Broward County, um, most of the things. What, what, oh, yeah, we could show the testimonial if you want to. I think that um, Monica wanted us to show the testimonial. This is, we have testimonials as well. My name is Jacobo Rispa, and I'm a producer at Sunshine Films Florida. 
In the last six years, we've produced 50 movies across the country. I want to share with you guys how much we enjoy filming in Broward County. Broward has a great incentive program. It's easy to apply and processing times are shorter than other programs in the country. The film office with film commissioner Sandy Leiterman and Kristen Andreoni will go the extra mile to help filmmakers and expedite their film permits. Broward County has a great variety of filming locations. They're not far from each other, traffic is good, people are film friendly, and it's less expensive to film here. Filming in Broward County is great. You love it. So that was just one of our testimonials. And um, I'm just gonna show you one other page. You wanna go to the incentives page? Just show you that we, um, there we go. So as you see, everything kind of flies in. So as you go down a little bit, these are all our rules for incentives for the different programs that we have. And um, it's quite visual. So I think that's it for our presentation. Thank Question. you. Well, Ms. Lederman, thank you so much for your team. It really was a question. great, great opportunity. Yes, Senator Young. Any questions? Um, yes, just one question. How many films uh, have we uh, have either already filmed in Broward or in the process or that you've lined up? So that have accessed our program specifically, right. which was, is just a year, almost a year old. So um, it, we have 11 that have... Ten have shot. One is shooting right now, and we have a we have a, a, another application as well. So we've 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 done pretty well. We've doubled um, since I've been here. We've doubled our um, the spend in the county. Um, so uh, approximately 67 million for the years before I was here, and we were at 137 million the last we looked at it. So, yeah. Very good. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Fur has a question. Commissioner Fur, followed by Commissioner Ryan. First of all, I thought, I thought that was great. I mean, it really does show the county really well. All the different parts of it. Nice job. Music, too. All good. Um, I saw where you, I saw it came down and showed the one, the films that had already been done here. Yeah. Are you going to have a comprehensive list of all the films that have ever been done here? Because I do think that's missing in our own archives. Um, that Because it's such a huge list. And a lot of people, when they come here, they kind of want to go see those sites sometimes, whether it's, you know, because there's a ton of films. You're right, and I, we do want to do that. We're eventually going to do that. And something that I did in Miami-Dade is we actually had a movie map, which I'd like to do here as well, so that it has all the locations so that, you know, they can just go to the map and it has, you know, GIS, it'll have the technology and they can know where. You won't be able to show everything was shot there, but you pick, a, you know, one area right. that was well known in that film and that um, uh, our tourists can go and, and look, because that's our film-induced tourism, which is very important. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad to hear that, because I do think it's, it's of interest to a lot of people that when they come here. If they know it's been filmed here, they want to go to that place. Yes, we get those it. calls. Yes. Thank, yeah. You. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Ryan. You know, there are a number of films that are actually shot, but then they, uh, they don't make it, I guess, um, into production or they're not released. What is... Uh, your information about, like, statistically, if uh, a director or producer, they put out, you know, 
10 films, how likely is it that one will actually be released? Well, it actually depends on the producer, right? So it depends on the company. Um, if it's a major studio, then most of those are going to get released unless there's some kind of pro problem because they've spent the money on it. Um, most of the, uh, a lot of the things that, that might not get released is because they, they were self-financed and that they didn't get distribution. So that's the reason, that, that would be the reason why. Percentage-wise, I don't know, but you know, nowadays, if you're shooting a film, most likely you have distribution already in place because you want eyes on that and you want to sell it and make money from it. So. Right, and I see, you know, you can go around neighborhoods and you can see uh, films that are actually, some, some are um, being shot, you know, right when you uh, drive by. And uh, is there a permitting process that um, the companies have to uh, go through in order to go on to somebody's property and, you know, be able to, uh, you know, produce their film? There is, and, we, and our office permits for that. So we permit for 26 of the 31 municipalities, hopefully getting a couple more on with us so that we can have interlocal agreements with all of the municipalities. And yes, and, and they, it, that makes us a one-stop shop, which makes us very enticing to um, producers and um, directors and location managers. Um, and uh, we make that process as very, I put it this way, as I'm a former producer, so I make the process, we make the process so easy because if I was on the other side, <laughs> I would want the same, that type of process. So that's how we operate our office. Very quick turnaround of permits. Right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you again. I think there's no further questions. Again, thank you so much. Yep, Commissioner Dean. Um, are there any commissioners that are IMBD certified in Broward? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think, <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Eugene, I think that would be you, yes. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you so much, Ms. Thank, you, so thank much. you for your team again. Keep up the great work thank and you. all you do. So congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, our reading clerk today is Georgina Rivera. Thank you again. Georgina, welcome back. We're going to ask you to read the Tuesday morning memo. Tuesday Agenda Memorandum. The following are submitted for your consideration. <clears throat> Consent items are 1 through 47. Public hearing items are 48 through 56. Regular items are 57 through 70. Withdrawal substitution, withdrawals, deferral substitutions. Item number 19, at the request of the Office of Economic and Small Business Development, OESBD, this item is being withdrawn for further staff review. Item number 51, at the request of the Resilient Environment Department, this item is being withdrawn and is anticipated being placed on an agenda after the summer recess. Scrivener errors, item number 38, exhibit one plat name project description currently reads 2602 Palm Air Plat. Should read 2606 Palm Air Plat. Additional information, item number two, signature pages have been received for exhibits one through three. Item number five, the board's consideration of this item is based on the item as amended by the updated exhibit six distributed as additional material. Item number 45, the board's consideration of this item is based on the item as amended by the substitute motion B distributed as additional material. Item number 67, the board's consideration of part C of this item is based on the interlocal agreement as amended by the substitute page seven distributed as additional material. May I request without objection, item 61, 62, 67, 69, and 70 be moved to consent. Please note item number 68 will be heard immediately following the consent agenda. Additional material regular meeting items 1C through 1H board appointments. Item number 5, updated exhibit 6 submitted by Public Works Department. Item number 45, memo to the board submitted by Intergovernmental Affairs Board Section. Item number 67, memo to the board submitted by Office of the County Attorney. Item number 68, memo to the board submitted by Commissioner Mark Bogan. Additional material public hearing, none. 
Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, just for the record, too, as far as the public is concerned, we do have a transportation workshop that will begin at 12 o'clock noon or immediately following our meeting and then followed by a shade meeting at 2 p.m. or again followed by the workshop. So we'll see how our timing goes on that as well. Mr. Mayor? Yes. To your right? Yes. Okay. Item, we just move item number 62 to the consent agenda. I should have mentioned that I wanted to comment on it. So at well, we're going to get to that so momentarily. So when we get to that, we just to wanted that. to clarify. No, that's to make right. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get you. to you absolutely on that. Okay, we are now under a consent agenda. We're going to ask for any of uh, the commissioners or administration that they have any polls. We'll begin with Vice Mayor Rich. Yes, I have uh, 12 through 14 for, for abstentions. Got it. Commissioner Bogan? 13, Commissioner Dean? Myself, none. Senator Geller? I was also going to pull item 62, but I'll leave it if uh, my colleague on the right would like to. Okay. Commissioner Furr? 43. Commissioner Ryan? None. Very good. Commissioner McKenzie? None. And Commissioner Rogers, 62, correct? Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Pirro, anybody? Any polls? None from administration. Mr. Myers? No, Mayor. Very good. Mr. Auditor? Okay, and the public? Uh, item 62. 62 it is. Okay, very good. Mr. Myers, would you read uh, the consent agenda for approval? Thank you, Mayor. The consent agenda for today is uh, items 1 through 47, less the following items. Uh, items 12 through 14 were pulled by Senator Rich for an abstention. Item 19 uh, has been withdrawn. And item 43 was pulled by Commissioner Furr. And then adding to the consent agenda, uh, items 61, 67, 69, and 70. Did there you, is a motion to approve the consent oh, yeah, agenda. Yeah. Did you oppose, did you announce 62? I, I, yes, sir, I, I did not listen. Mayor, move it. Okay, moved by uh, Commissioner Bogan, second by Commissioner McKenzie. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Passage name is me 9-0, very good. We are on a timeline. I know Commissioner Bogan has to leave at 11 o'clock. We're going to go and start with the consent, and I'm going to leave that if I need to, Mr. Myers, if that's okay, to get into item number 68. But we're going to talk talk about item number 12. Could 12, 13, and 14 be read concurrently? Yes, sir. Okay. The reading clerk read 12, 13, and 14, if you would. Number 12 motion. Is a, a motion is a motion to approve agreement between area-wide council on aging of Broward County Inc. and Broward County for community-based services to eligible seniors. Motion B is a motion to adopt budget resolution within the contract fund to appropriate revenue in the amount of $1,094,028 for community-based services to eligible seniors, of which $12,000 is estimated co-payment revenue received from clients. Number 13, Motion A is a motion to approve agreement between the Area-Wide Council on Aging of Broward County, Inc. and Broward County to provide caregiver training and support services to eligible residents. Motion B is a motion to adopt budget resolution within the Older Americans Act title fund to appropriate revenue in the amount of $36,518 for caregiver training and support services to eligible residents, of which $32,866 are grant funds and $3,652 are the area-wide council on aging Broward County's Inc. match dollars. Number, item number 14, uh, motion A is a motion to approve agreement between area-wide council on aging of Broward County Inc and Broward County for services to clients with dementia and their caregivers. Motion B is a motion to, to adopt. Oh, 
budget Please. resolution to appropriate revenue in the amount of $152,500 for services to clients with dementia and their caregivers, of which $150,000 are grant funds and $2,500 is client co-payment revenue. Okay. No member of the public has signed up to speak. Item 12, 13, 14, Vice Mayor, did you have an abstention? Yes, I do. Thank you. Um, I serve on the board of the Area-Wide Council on Aging, which will be impacted financially if items 12, 13, and 14 pass. I uh, do not receive any compensation for serving on this board, and therefore I have no actual statutory voting conflict. However, to avoid the appearance of a conflict, I am abstaining on items 12, 13, and 14, and ask that this be reflected in the minutes. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve items 12, 13, and 14? Move it. Second. Second. Moved by Commissioner Bogan, second by Senator Geller. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Uh, Opposed? Motion carries eight with one abstention. Thank you. In essence of time, I'm going to now move to item number 68 for Commissioner Bogan. Thank you, Mayor. This will take. I'm going to have it read first, okay? Sure. Item number 68 is a motion to discuss and direct county administration to develop a water wastewater testing program for PFAS, commonly known as Forever Chemicals and Other Contaminants in the Broward County Water Supply, on an annual basis in coordination with a legal review by the county attorney's office. Thank you. Commissioner Bogan. This will take five minutes, Mayor. Um, my item involves a toxic group of chemicals with the short name of PFAS. PFAS can be found in nonstick cookware, water-resistant fabrics, stain-resistant coating, cleaning products, shampoo, nail polish, eye makeup, fire-suppressant foam, food packaging, and, of course, drinking water. PFAS chemicals are everywhere across the United States and around the globe. They are called long-lasting or forever chemicals because they don't break down quickly. So why should we care? High exposure of PFAS is known to cause the following. A variety of cancers, high cholesterol, reduced response to vaccines, change in a person's body hormones or immune system, decreased fertility, liver damage, thyroid disease, and more. Um, there are many articles, as I'm holding up here, that have to do with the topic. I'm just going to briefly touch upon one of abcnews.com stated, PFAS water contamination is found in 43% of United States zip codes, which had at least one water source where PFAS contamination was detected. And at least 100 million Americans in the past eight years have possibly been drinking, bathing, cleaning with contaminated tap water. So why, are we bringing, why am I bringing this up now? Two months ago, just recently, the EPA finally proposed to regulate PFAS to no more than four parts per trillion. The problem is, is that an FIU publication in 2021 showed that one of our cities, Dania Beach, had a PFAS of 124 parts per trillion. Let me say that again. The EPA wanted to reduce it to four parts per trillion, and at least one of our cities had 124 parts per trillion. Uh, according, drinking way too much of that water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we've been feeding you that water purposely. <laughs> Uh, according to the Journal of Hazardous Materials, Volume 1 of 452, it stated the screening of PFAS in drinking water from populated counties in South Florida showed tap water had the highest number of PFAS features. Also announcing uh, after uh, the uh, uh, 4.4 parts per trillion, the EPA stated this makes a major step towards safeguarding all of our communities from these dangerous contaminants. Therefore, I, I believe in acting in the best interest of the public we need to agree to immediately test the waters of each city. And um, what I've learned from uh, Lenny is that there's 27 treatment facilities. We need 27 tests. It could be done in a week. 
Uh, it might, the test, the water can be accumulated in a vial, that's it, sent off in less than a month, the test can be completed. If we did two tests per plant per year, the total cost would be 20 grand, 574. And last but not least, uh, I've learned that reverse osmosis can eliminate or significantly reduce PFAS. And also there are 14 water bottle companies, I'm gonna hold up one, that use reverse osmosis. Dasani, here's one, there's 13 others, Aquafina and others. Um, but with that, Mayor, I would like to amend what was just read by the clerk, um, amend the motion to uh, basically state, sorry, 68, instead of it saying a motion for direct county administration to develop a water wastewater testing program, well, after talking to Lenny, we've already done that. Basically, we can collect from the 27 water districts here in Broward County. We can learn whether we have a PFAS issue, and we can learn what it is. And that's, to me, the first step. And I ask my commissioners if they would uh, agree to do that. The total cost would be 10000 half of that price, because we don't have to do both of them, obviously, now. And uh, see if you, you, know, you would agree to at least test the water right now. Okay, I'm going to have Mr. Myers just make a couple statements too, then we can have discussion. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so the, the item as printed is, is different, I guess, from the ask that, uh, that Commissioner Bogan just uh, made right now. So the item is printed, ask the county administrator to coordinate with my office uh, to develop some sort of a, a testing program. And, uh, you know, that would give us the opportunity because it would take time to, to develop something uh, before it's implemented for us to talk to you. Uh, also, prior to implementation, uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable with that. Obviously, Commissioner Bogan can make the, the motion that, that he likes, but uh, this is a fast-changing uh, legal landscape. There's a tremendous amount of litigation relating to PFAS. Uh, as Commissioner Bogan mentioned, the EPS, uh, EPA is also involved in uh, rulemaking right now and uh, maybe by the end of the year is going to establish some sort of uh, a national standard. Uh, you all know me well enough that when there are a lot of legal issues floating around, uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable having a very, very uh, open discussion about it. It's something that I'd rather have the opportunity to brief you on uh, further individually if you're going to go with a further step of directing a specific program at this point uh, rather than uh, perhaps just uh, directing staff to, to coordinate with our office to develop something and give us an opportunity to circle back with you uh, on it. Uh, if you're going to discuss this, uh, because again, you know I'm a nervous Nelly on these things, especially when the EPA is involved, extremely complicated, thousands of lawsuits already existing. Uh, I, I would just want to uh, make sure, if to the extent you're comfortable with it, that you keep your discussion as narrow as possible. Uh, if you ask anything that I think uh, may be problematic, I may want to have a sidebar with you, or, or theoretically, I have a subsequent discussion, but uh, that's it. Thank Very you. good. Commissioner Bogart, are you comfortable going back to the original motion as uh, Mr. Myers is comfortable, more comfortable no, I, with? No, and you know okay. how much I like Mr. Myers and respect him, but I didn't know he was in a commissioner and is pro professing to do, um, you know, policy. We don't need to uh, develop a water wastewatering testing program because there's already one there. According to Lenny, there's a lab in Orlando that will test the water. So. What do we need to do to develop a program? There's no program. It's just basically just like if you get a blood test. You need to develop a blood test to go to a lab? No, they get you a blood test. There's a, there's a lab in Orlando for 600 bucks maximum per tube, per vial. We can get this done. 
sounds like a bureaucratic thing, wasting time, and, and, and we've done nothing wrong. This county has done nothing wrong with respect to PFAS, except if we sit here and wait a year, then we might have a liability problem, you know, as an attorney. But if we do act now, the EPA just acted, we act, we've done nothing improper, and we're doing something on behalf of our residents. So why would we want to keep a developer program? The program's there. It's basically just like give a blood test. Bring the water over to this place, and they will let you know the answer. So, Mr. Myers, go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, and Mayor and Commissioner Bogan, and I, I'm not an expert uh, on this. I'm not an environmental lawyer, as you know. We do have our environmental lawyer here as well. Uh, I, I think our regulatory powers are limited, so there are some uh, sort of practical things that we need to figure out as part of development of the program. We're, we're not I, I'm not asking to regulate anything, Council. So why are we bringing that regulatory? Uh, okay. I'm not asking us to regulate Commissioner, anything. I understand. Let, let Mr. Myers finish. Yeah. So uh, collecting samples, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we just want to make sure that things will be done in a coordinated manner. We can't just go in and issue an order uh, telling, and, and I know Mr. Owens is here, and if I'm wrong, please let me know. Uh, we don't we don't have the ability to go in. We operate a certain number of, of uh, water systems here. I think we uh, actually supply water to is about 15 percent, I believe, of the of the households. 12 percent. 12 percent. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there, there are just some things that we need to make sure are, are, are done a certain way. And we would want to legally, if possible. And, and again, I'm not trying to get into policy, Commissioner, but I have to. No, I want to. Yeah. No, no, if I correct him, no, I, no, I just want to correct no, him. No, with all due respect, Council, um, we don't have to have the per per permission of anybody. You can go to any tap, so turn on the tap in every city, and just turn it on. If the water district said, no, we're not going to let you, you don't need them. You don't need their permission. All you got to do is, and Lenny, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, all you got to do is go to each city, turn on a tap, fill a vial, a, a, and, and a consumer can do this. We don't even have to do this. Anybody can go and test a city water by okay. just turning on a tab. All right, so we're gonna have some commission discussion now, if I can, and we're gonna begin with Commissioner Ryan, followed by Senator Geller, followed by Commissioner Furr. You know, I actually think this is a, this is a very uh, um, important proposal, but um, uh, I do go back to what I, I think that uh, Attorney Myers was alluding to is, um, I, I believe, does our county have the authority to go to uh, water plants and to uh, compel them to uh, you know provide water samples you know you would think you know that they would like to do so voluntarily but if not I mean how do we ensure that we're, we're getting these water samples that in you know there's a there's a chain of custody to get it over to the laboratory to make sure that it's done right and so you just want us to make sure that you're you're following all of your uh, you know your protocols your mandates and with that um, you know I do like what you're trying to achieve I think, Mr. Kerr, did you ask, Mr. Okay. Commissioner Ryan, I think you had asked the legal counsel a question. Yeah. Commissioner yeah. Ryan, did you, you had, had asked legal counsel a question, so I'm going to have yes, them answer yes. that. Yes, legal counsel there. Kerr? And, and, and to, um, actually, to uh, kind of like reference, um, you know, Commissioner Bogan's question, you know, you can just, um, you know, take a water sample from the tap, but, I mean, you've got the water that is in the, uh, the city's lines, the water system, and then when it goes... Uh, through the meter, and it's now on the uh, property owner's property. I mean, you can, uh, you know, have some uh, uh, contaminants that you might uh, have on the other side of the uh, of the water meter that may contribute to, you know, what is the um, 
You know, what is the um, the outcome on the um, you know on the water quality? Mr. Kirk. Owens. Yes, thank you, Michael Owens. Well, no Owens, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I got the, the Michaels are going to be confused. Michael Kerr is the, uh, is the uh, mayor, vice mayor, and commissioners. I'm Michael Owens, guy. senior assistant county attorney. Commissioner Ryan, I want to make sure I have your question clearly. So, could you let me know exactly what you you're asking? Um, how do we um, uh, obtain water samples from? You know, he mentioned uh, the Dania Beach water plant. They do have a water plant right off Sterling Road. So, I mean. How do you get those water samples? Do you actually go to the plant and uh, take the samples there? And have you done so in the past? I mean, I do. I see that we've got um, Alan Garcia, you know, our our, our water uh, director here. Maybe he can actually, you know, kind of uh, weigh in on this issue also. Um, generally, we wouldn't have the authority to just go into the plant without their permission to test the water that they're producing for residents. Commissioner Bogan addressed one of the practical issues that. Someone could turn on the tap and have it tested anyway. Um, of course, we have our own uh, director of water wastewater services here in regard to the testing of our own systems. We could do that as the owner of those systems or operator of those systems. So, uh, yeah, so is there any possibility that you have a change in the quality of the water from when it leaves the plant and it goes through the, uh, the distribution pipes and eventually to the uh, ultimate consumer? There are a number of, number of factors that can affect water quality in the distribution system for water. Um, I'm not specifically aware of whether uh, additional PFAS would be one of those in the distribution systems to uh, the end users like residents and businesses. Uh, I haven't heard yet any, any science that says PFAS can be introduced during that process, but that's the reason wastewater system, uh, water supply systems regularly uh, do forms of cleaning, uh, like high chlorination periods, is, is to try and help make sure that uh, uh, the water quality at the customer end is uh, meeting all the standards that are required by the Florida Department yeah. of Health or the EPA for for the water quality <clears throat> to the tap. You know, and, and it may not be a good analogy, but you know, we had the problems with uh, water quality uh, up in Flint, Michigan. And I think it may have been, you know, um, some contaminants in the pipes, in the distribution pipes. So just, I, I don't know whether that's uh, a real issue for us in, in South Florida and in Broward County in particular. Um, not that I'm aware of. The Michigan one was dealing with lead pipes that uh, were leaching into the water. Yeah. Okay. okay, Mr. Garcia, did you want to comment on Commissioner Ryan's no. questions? No, he doesn't. If I can, Mr. Piero. Yes, Mr. Garcia might be able to answer from a, a technical standpoint sure. so, on that so issue. Commissioner Ryan, your question as, you know, could there be a difference whether you test it at the plant or at somebody's tap? And, and the answer is yes. Um, I don't have specifics, but there is some, some evidence that uh, PVC can potentially have PFOS in it. The very interesting thing from the FIU study that Commissioner Bogan um, referenced was that they found surface waters in Biscayne Bay, Bay and canals lower levels than at the taps, which since a lot of those are source waters anyway, you would have expected to be very similar because it's not gonna change if anything, maybe it gets a little bit reduced by the treatment process, but the fact that at, at the tap they were higher could lead to the potential that it's coming from some of the plastic piping at the houses. Okay, Commissioner okay. Ryan? You completed? Okay. Senator Geller. Thank you, Mr. Thank, Thank you. I'll stay, stay, stay put here in case no, you have questions. Okay? Well, no, not from, from okay. me. Commissioner Bogan. 
I think this is an important issue that you've raised. However, I don't, this was added on supplemental. We haven't had a chance to be briefed on this. Based on the comments from the county attorney, I think I'm going to ask that we postpone this for one meeting only so that, you know, based on, on what I'm hearing, I think it's sufficient enough that A, we should be briefed on it, and B, I don't think a two-week delay, and I'm not suggesting we delay it till we come back from summer, but I think a two-week delay would give us a chance to be briefed, give you a chance to work with the county attorney, and that way, you know, I just don't see that there's a qualitative difference between doing it now versus at our next meeting. So unless you object vehemently, I'm going to move that we defer this for one meeting only and put this back on our next meeting so that we can be briefed and you have a chance to work with the county attorney. Mr. Bogan, do you agree with the, with the just a couple I, of I, um, you know, Normally I wouldn't have a problem, but Steve, there's a contaminant in the water and all I want to do is test it. I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about how we're going to resolve it. I'm not talking about spending $100 million today about putting a reverse osmosis system or what's the best remedy. I just want to just like go okay. for a blood test. I just want to go for a test. Okay. Okay. And I, if you want to postpone it in the commission, fine. Okay. I, I, I okay. don't see the, ne the need to postpone it, but all I can say is I'm just for right now, I'm just looking for a test, just like if you go for a blood test, just I, a test. I understand. So we know if we have a problem. We may not have a problem. Mr. Mayor, so I, I would like to move that we postpone this just <clears throat> for one meeting. Mm -hmm. We put this on the next agenda so that we have a chance. I would like to be briefed on this, and I would like to give Commissioner Bogan and the county attorney a chance to talk. So, Mr. So motion, Mayor, move that motion we postpone to postpone for, for two one weeks. Week. Motions are second? For one meeting, not one week. Is there a second? Second by. Vice Mayor, any discussion on the motion to postpone? So, so do I have an opportunity to ask my questions after this, or this no? Is usually, end when it. it's postponed, you just go to the next meeting. But I did. Time has to be acknowledged. I know, but Senator Geller was acknowledged before you, Commissioner McKenzie, and he's made a motion. There's a motion on the floor right now, and there's been a second. So, I know, I Mr. Wanna, Mr. Mayor, as a courtesy not, to Commissioner McKenzie, uh, can I postpone my motion until no, no, no. after he no, comes? Okay. We'll come then, back. My questions won't go away. Then okay. that, that is fine. So okay. why don't you withdraw your motion at this particular time or hold on to it because okay. I have Commissioner, Commissioner McKenzie, Fur. do you want me oh, to withdraw? I just want to ask a question that might okay. clarify. Mr. Okay. Mayor, can I ask you recognized immediately after Commissioner McKenzie to make that motion? Well, I have Commissioner Fur in the queue, Commissioner McKenzie and Commissioner Rogers. So if we're going to let everybody speak, we'll let everybody speak here now, okay? So what are you going to... McKenzie, would you greatly mind if we vote now and you ask them at the next meeting? I want to be courteous no. to you. Commissioner sir. McKenzie has said to voice that he wants to have discussion now on it. So I'm going to... Okay. I just want to ask a question. Just okay. <clears throat> I'm going to go with Commissioner Furr, followed by Commissioner McKenzie and Commissioner Rogers. Commissioner Furr. And, and then I'd like to make and the then, motion. Yes, correct. We'll come back to you, Senator. Okay. Um, thank you. First of all, this is, this is an issue that has been coming, is, is making its way through environmental um, community very quickly. It is, it is you are seeing petitions trying to get on the ballot for the right to, right to clean water. Um, though it passed in Orange County, actually it's, it's lots of places, because of precisely this, of PFAS. The fact is PFAS is ubiquitous. It is in almost everything we deal with. It is. And, and, and to be honest, just 
checking it at the tap is looking at testing it downstream not even looking at when you're using all the pans you're using in your hand in your house um, all the different plastics you have that's where it is so what's really more I think what's more important at some point is to be doing an overall education for everybody so people know about it I, I say this because from the solid waste <laughs> point of view this is a huge issue because it is when you when you're shredding plastics and all those kind of things it's part of it um, but the EPA is working on this at a very fast pace they they're expediting this and trying to figure out what is a safe limit is there a safe limit there are there are places in in our county that are already filtering it using reverse osmosis the large water systems in Hollywood um, I'm happy to, to wait a week on this it, but uh, but uh, but I do want but, but it is yeah one week um, and and actually have our own departments kind of weigh in on, weigh in on this because there's you know when we put out our sludge so our sludge has PFAS in it we're putting that out in all of the places throughout this state so you know that and it is contaminating there it is you it is everywhere and so it's one of those things where um, the test is going to be it's not going to it's not it, it will tell us a little bit but it's not getting to the source it's not getting to the 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 larger picture of the the ways in which this is affecting our health um, and I think and and I like that I'm, I'm, I'm on one hand I'm really glad you're bringing this up because to, to make the awareness is important mm -hmm. people don't realize how much these plastics have become a part of our our life and what it's doing to our health um, I'm happy to wait a week because but this does two weeks. Two one weeks. meeting two, two weeks, weeks. Mm -hmm. okay sorry that's what you're saying okay to the next um, commission meeting yeah but I do I would like to, to have our um, departments weigh in on this a little bit um, and I know the EPA is I think in December they are if I'm not mistaken because I've been tracking we've been tracking this for a little while they are expected to come up with a um, what they they're, they're what they think is safe um, as well as what are the best ways to um, take care of it what kind of what kind of filters can you put in mm -hmm. and when you see that those are going to be expensive and there's a lot of things that are in the water now unfortunately that are not being taken out you don't have you have pharmaceuticals that are not being taken out there's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and it's not good and it and it, and it begs the big, there's a larger question here because there is technology that can do advanced water treatment that does take all this stuff out that's the bigger discussion mm -hmm. and that's one that we should be having at some point because that is how you make sure that you're not polluting the environment from from your wastewater and everything else that's a big discussion Understood. and I know that uh, I know Alan's here and I know he I know he's in the middle of trying to figure out um, how, what to do with biosolids and all those kind of things and I think I'm looking forward to seeing his white paper on this. But he, we're, you know, this county is in the middle of trying to deal with this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure 
that a test is going to do anything but scare people. And I'm not sure they're going to understand that. And, and I, you know, if you, you know, you, we already get, we test for a lot of things in the water system. You see it, um, and there's acceptable levels on each one, and it tells you where your range is. Um, we can't tell. We, we would come up with a number, and we don't know what to say about that number. That's what I'm a little afraid of. Because normally it's like, if it says how much arsenic is in the water, or how much phosphate, or how much potassium, all that, it tells you this is a safe range. We are not going to be able to tell them this is a safe range. And people won't know, is this good, is this bad? That's not, you don't want, I don't think you want to put people in the dark that way. And I think we want to be careful with that. Okay. So that's all. All right, Commissioner Bogren unfortunately had to leave. Uh, so, but we're going to continue discussion. Have it on the. That's okay. We'll have it on the record so Commissioner Bogan can listen to it, and then we can bring it back in two weeks. Well, but I want to continue discussion. Commissioner McKenzie, you're on. Well, with that, I would not want to say anything in his, in his absence. So, I'll wait for the return of of the author. So we can have a discussion in his presence and, okay. and speak to. So I've just been I've just been notified, Commissioner Bogan. He does have to leave temporarily, but he's going to come back. So we're going to just postpone this item till the end of the meeting. Continue discussion at that point. Okay. And so I'll he speak can, then, so, he, so he can hear it. Okay. So it'll be, it'll be followed by Commissioner McKenzie, Commissioner Raj, and the Vice Mayor at that particular time when we come back. And okay. Then, and then yeah. my motion. Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. So we're going to again postpone this until the end of the meeting. So we're going to continue back on our consent agenda. We're going to go now to item 43, Commissioner Furpold. Thank you. This is um, the main reason I pulled this is that to to let everybody know, we don't have a commission representative on this board, and we need one. I'm I'm on too many boards, <laughs> so I, I don't you know um, I uh, but I do think it's important that we have somebody there. Which the children's services board? I'm on the children's oh. services council, but um, President Mayerson from Broward League of Cities right. had called me and said, "You guys don't have anybody on this board." Correct. A and we need and he and he's asking. He said, "And this this is how we spend 14 million dollars of our money for children." on numerous things and it's important for one of us to be there that's that's really what i want to say well we had when we had done our uh, our board appointments of course at the beginning of the year um we had selected commissioner rogers to serve but she ultimately did not want to serve on the children's okay. services board and so she withdrew uh, so at that point we've had a vacancy there does anybody else wish to serve on that board at this particular when time do meet? when do they meet do we know miss campbell are you come, please come forward and uh, you can tell us. Good morning. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Commission. They meet the third Friday of every month. Just for your name for the record, though. Keith Bostic. Okay, Keith, thank you. The third Friday of every month. Third Friday of every month, 9, 9 a.m. At 9 a.m., meetings last at the, usually. Uh, at the Transportation Department on. An hour? Two hours. Two hours, okay. I'll serve if there's Okay. I was going to say Bogan's well, not here. Okay. We should point it out. <laughs> Since I'm the youngest county commissioner, I'm happy. So I don't know if we have to put this on the agenda for Commissioner Udine to be able to serve on this board? You know, it's 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 we a, good. Marty, we good? Okay. What'd you say? 
All right, so good idea. Thank you so much, yep. uh, Commissioner. Thank you so much, Commissioner Dean, for wanting to serve, okay? Is there a motion to approve item 43? So moved. So moved. Moved by Vice Mayor, second by Senator Geller. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries eight to zero. Thank you so much. Now we're on item 62, because I'm going to pull, I'm going to continue on that item just before we have to break, okay? So item number 62. Reading clerk. Item 62 is a motion to approve final ranking of the qualified firms for request for proposals, general engineering consulting services for rail activities for the transportation department. Would you like me to read the ranked firms or no? Yes, but you would, yes. The ranked firms are one, CDM Smith Inc., two, uh, Gannett Fleming Inc., three, TY Lynn International, four, EXP US Services Inc., five, Kimley Horn and Associates Inc., six, CTS Engineering Inc., and seven, WSP USA Inc. There's one speaker that's signed up to speak on this item, and that is Dana Pollitt. Okay, very good. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and have the public speak, followed by Commissioner Rogers and Commissioner Geller, who actually pulled this item as well. Okay? Good morning, Mr. Birthday Man. Good morning. Thank you. Go ahead. Good morning, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. Like <laughs> <laughs> is it your birthday? It is it his is. birthday today, yes. Happy birthday. Number five Thank zero. Good morning, County Administrator. Uh, Dana Pollitt on behalf of my client, CTS Engineering. Uh, Broward's local business ordinance was established to, among other things, protect our locally-based Broward County businesses, including small and mid-sized firms. The ordinance helps level the playing field and ensures that local non-local uh, non companies do not have an unfair advantage over our homegrown Broward businesses. CTS was the only locally-based business, the only former CBE, and the only federally certified DBE to submit a proposal. CTS was the only locally-based vendor to qualify for a total of 25 points, as well as earning 25 points for purchasing other requirements. I'm here today to discuss the scoring of one EC member that altered the outcome of the procurement. In examining the EC member scoring, scores between each vendor range from one to four points. The difference for CTS to the next closest vendor was 10 points, by definition, an outlier. I submit that the outlier resulted in a breakdown of the process and changed the outcome. Three of the five members all rank CTS in the top three proposers, including one second place ranking. The outlier score of 73 was the lowest score provided to any vendor by any EC member. All the other EC members scored in the 80s. All EC members were asked, uh, members asked questions of CTS during their presentation, except the EC member in question who sat silent, asked no questions, provided no comments, and expressed no concerns of my client's proposal or presentation, and thus provided no potential basis or rationale for their outlier score. If we consider the Geller rule on outliers, the following examples check each box in support of the rule. One, is the EC member's score dramatically different? Yes. Two, does the one EC member's vote alter the outcome? Yes. Three, do the majority of EC members rank the top, the firm in the top three? Yes. Four, if you throw out the highest and lowest, would the, would the firm be ranked in the top three? Yes. There are two formal written objections, objections to this procurement. Please do not set a precedent today. If you have any, even the slightest gut feeling that this does not pass the smell test, do not move this item. We kindly request that the board move to have the EC reconvene based on this information and in order to evaluate and rank. If that is not the will of the board, we ask that you reject all proposals and reissue this procurement. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Pollock. I think that's the only public uh, signed up for this item. 
So we're going to close the public portion. We're going to have some commission discussion again with Commissioner Rogers, followed by Senator Geller. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just want everyone to know that whenever we have these type of uh, ranking and rating and having these committees meet, I'm always going to look at the score. I watch the numbers for obvious reasons, wanting to make sure that we're in compliance, wanting to make sure we are achieving our goals. And sometimes when you look at the ranking, and when I looked at it, and there's a differential, there's a range that's 10 points or more, then I'm going to ask for this body to take a look at it. So I talked to staff, senior management, and I was re referred to a specific department, and I just wanted to recognize our procurement department for the conversation we had and the guidance, you know, and they justified and spoke to their position and what their expectations were. And I came out of the meeting knowing that something will change based on questions asked, not just by me, I realize others have the same concern. So I'm pleased to know that the procurement department will be rolling out a pilot that will increase efficiency and provide for more clarity. Because when you look at the scores and you look for the, someone that does not understand the process and what we go through in selecting members of that committee would believe that it's not as, things need to change. I'm trying to be very careful of not accusing need to, need to anyone. All right, something mm -hmm. should be tweaked here. So I came out feeling mm -hmm. good about the process, that so, they recognize my concern and something will be tweaked because that range was too much for me. You know, When I look at everyone else's score and how they did things, I felt that something needs to be done, and I think it will be done based on the conversation I had with your, or staff. So I want to thank Monica and Kim for directing me there and for the information that was shared, but we want to make sure that things does not look like something is funny. And I'm glad to know that others feel that way. And thanks for the discussion and the conversation. You bet, Commissioner Rogers. Senator Geller. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Dana, happy birthday. And uh, Dana made reference to the Geller rule, which I think most of you have heard of, because my office looks at each of these scores. And if I find what I consider to be a huge outlier, I ask for justification for that. I looked at this one. I don't have, unfortunately for Dana I don't, or his client, I don't have a problem with the scoring particularly, but I do want to explain and then raise a issue, which is, again, I, I understand that there is a pilot project underway. If you look at the scores on this, there were a lot of outliers. In fact, the largest outlier wasn't for his, uh, wasn't for, I think it was CTS. I converted all of the scores to ordinals, first place, second place, third, fourth, fifth, and the biggest outlier under that scenario was uh, the first place, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, the person that got the highest score, CDM, I think it is, um, or uh, whatever they're called. CDM. CDM. Uh, got four first places and a 
last place, which, you know, I, and the seventh place, which I think that, but it wouldn't have affected it. It still was the highest ranked scoring. Um, and there was one, a, a company, EXP, that got um, uh, uh, four, two tied for either five or six and a seven and a first place vote. I consider those to be also outliers here. And then when I looked at the number of points difference between the highest and the lowest, the highest one in that was EXP, which was a 16-point difference mm -hmm. between the highest and the lowest score. One person gave it a 91, one person gave it a 75, and then there were two that were tied at 15, CTS and DM Smith. So it appeared to me that there were a number of outliers. I didn't find that the one that, um, that CTS was particularly, you know, it looked to me like there were others that were greater outliers. If there was anything I would have complained about, it was CDM, where first, 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 and last. But that is raising my question when you have first, 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 and seven out of seven. I am concerned that we need to be looking more closely at how we're doing the scoring. I don't know, Monica, if we will be discussing that today or at a future meeting. It's future meeting is fine, but I, I, I would like us to be taking a look at you know the, the method again. I understand that they're looking at several ways of doing this. I think I'm the one that requested this six months ago that we look at this, and we received a memo on this about six months ago. But again, as I looked at this, I saw whether you look at either the ordinal or the raw points, I didn't see CTS as being the biggest outlier of all of them. So I'm okay with the ranking here. But I understand his concern, Mr. Pollitt's concern. I just didn't find it to be the largest one. And uh, we do need to look at it. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Further commission discussion on this item, anybody? Okay, so is there a motion? Move to approve. Since Bogan isn't here, I'll move to approve. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Gellert moves the item. Is there a second? Is there a second to the motion? Second. Commissioner Udeen, any further discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. What do we have? Eight. 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 Zero. There is nobody moving. Very good. Thank you. We're now back. Uh, that concludes our consent agenda. We are now under our public hearings. Let me just flip to that, if I may. <laughs> we are now under our public hearings, item 48 through 56. We'll begin with item 48. The public hearing on item 48 is now open. Item 48 is a motion to adopt resolution to vacate a portion of a six-foot wide utility easement lined within lot seven of Riverview Terrace Plat, Plat Book 59, page 34, in the city of Deerfield Beach. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Okay, public portion closed. Is there a motion? Senator Geller moves it. Second by Commissioner Rogers. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Commissioner McKenzie, do you agree? Aye. Okay. <laughs> he was looking at me funny. 
880, that passes. Thank you so much. Item number 49. The public hearing on item 49 is now open. Item 49 is a motion to approve Marine Terminal Lease and Operating Agreement between Broward County and HM Southeast Cement LLC for a 4.91 acre parcel of land and improvements located at Port Everglades with an initial 10 year term retroactively commencing on March 1st, 2023. This is the second of two public hearings. The first public hearing was held on May 2nd, 2023. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Okay. Public portion closed. Moved by Senator Go, second by Commissioner Furr. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries eight to zero. Thank you. Item 50. The public hearing on item number 50 is now open. Item 50 is a motion to enact ordinance pertaining to surtax funded transportation improvements amending chapter five, article nine of the county code of ordinances creating division nine sections 5-210 through 5-216 establishing regulations for the siting and permitting of county surtax funded transportation improvements. This is the second of two required public hearings. The first public hearing was held on May 2nd, 2023. Exhibits two and three are alternate amendments prepared for the board's consideration, modifying the number of votes required to make a finding of criticality. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. See, so we're going to close the public portion at this particular time and open up for commission discussion. Commissioner McKenzie, did you say something? Okay. Yes, yeah, so you, Senator Gallo, you want to talk was, about no, the amendments? I just, no, I was just going to say, can we hear from the sponsor of the proposed amendments? On the proposed amendments, yes, Mr. Myers, if you would. Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, a number of commissioners commented during the last meeting, Senator Geller, about on the finding of criticality, making it either instead of the seven that's in the draft, six votes or even five votes. Uh, therefore, because multiple folks uh, asked about it, we did not attribute them to any specific individual. They are both Correct. attached to the item, and that's those are the only changes. So we need to make a decision whether we're going to go to seven, six, or five. Okay, so Senator Geller? I won't vote for seven. Uh, I am open for either five or six and would like to hear the debate from my colleagues. I will not vote for seven. You will not vote for seven. I thought, okay. I'm prepared to vote for either five or six, but want to hear the debate. Understood. Okay. Commissioner Furr? I feel the same way. Okay. Well, we have to have, so we have to have somebody make the motion for... I'll move the item with the amendment being five commissioners, a simple majority of the county commission. Okay. It's been moved with the number of five as far as the amendments concerned. Second to that. Second. second. Moved by, second by Commissioner McKenzie. Any discussion on moving it to the five? Hearing none. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries eight to zero. That's simple as that, okay? That was just the amendment. This amendment, now we're going to vote on the amendment, okay? I'll move the item as amended. Move the second. Again, move in the amendment. It's the second. Second by Senator Geller. Moved by Commissioner Dean. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries now. Fully intact. Item 50 is approved 8 to 0. And just for the record, item 51 was at the request of the Resilient Environment Department. The county's attorney's office has withdrawn this item at this particular time. So moving on to item number 52. The public hearing on item 52 is now open. Item 52 is a motion to enact ordinance pertaining to trees and the name and acronym of the Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department, amending chapters 1, 5, 7, 8 and a half, 9 and a half, 20, 27, 30, and 34 of the County Code of Ordinances to update the name and acronym of the Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department, amending section 27-406 and article 14 of chapter 27, and updating the incorporation of documents by reference, citations to the code of ordinances and the list of nuisance trees and tree species recommended for canopy replacement. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Public portion uh, closed. Commission discussion? Moved. Second. Who moved it? 
Commissioner Furr, seconded by Vice Mayor. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries 8-0. Thank you so much. Item number 53. The public hearing on item 53 is now open. Item 53 is a motion to enact ordinance pertaining to the three cent local option gas tax amending sections 31 and a half dash 38 and 31 and a half dash 42 of the county code of ordinances relevying the gas tax and providing for the duration of the gas tax no member of the public has signed up to speak on this item okay proportion closed it does take six votes to pass this items 53 and 54 for the record any commission discussion to a motion vice mayor moves it second by commissioner rogers all in favor say aye aye, aye. opposed Motion carries 8-0. All righty, thank you. Item 54. The public hearing on item 54 is not open. Item 54 is a motion to enact ordinance pertaining to the additional one cent local option gas tax amending sections 31 and a half dash 38 and 31 and a half dash 42 of the county code of ordinances terminating the prior levy of the gas tax and relevying the gas tax and providing for the duration of the gas tax. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Okay, public portion closed again, six votes. Any commission discussion? Is there motions? Moved by Commissioner Dean, seconded second. by Vice Mayor. All in favor say aye. 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 Motion passes 8-0 on that item. Item 55. The public hearing on item 55 is now open. Item 55 is a motion to adopt resolution pertaining to delegation requests and amending section 18.5 of the county administrative code. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Public portion not closed. I'll send it to Senator Geller for explanation. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Mr. Mayor, this is something somewhat similar to an issue you raised some time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and at, remember at the last meeting, I invited anyone else that wanted to do any amendments to offer them. Uh, what I was concerned about is I have seen some of the delegation meetings turn into what I think are just sales pitches. And that is not the purpose of delegation. So I, uh, I had filed a request to add the words on page two line uh, 28 and 29 may not propose or advertise a commercial service or transaction. Staff has requested two additions to this, which I'm absolutely fine with, which one is to, and both of which are clarifying, putting in the code what are already our practice. One would say on page three, line 53 actually no this one did not this is new that repeat delegation requests on the same topic can't occur more than once a quarter we remember recently where we tried to do a good act and at every single meeting there were delegation requests mm -hmm. on that same action so this would say one delegation request per topic per quarter um, and then the final one which again staff is advised is already our practice, which is line 66 and 67, saying only the persons listed on the delegation request may address the board. So that's what I have. I know there were other people that had concerns. I haven't seen any amendments, and if not, I'm ready to move this. But if there were any other amendments, I'm happy to use this as a vehicle for any of my commissioners. So we'll have some commission discussion, Vice Mayor. Mr. Mayor, yeah, I, I have a little angst with the whole thing uh, in the sense that I, uh, we don't have that many delegation requests. We don't have that pro any of these problems very often, if ever. And I, I just think it doesn't, it's not a good thing to, um, to, to uh, you know, kind of limit the opportunities for 
people to come and speak. Um, as far as the, the persons listed, only they could speak. I mean, if someone gets ill, gets caught in traffic, whatever, that somebody else can't take their place, I don't really understand why we need to do that. And um, I think the restrictions on the repeat delegation, that was one thing that happened with Lakeside, if you remember. I don't recall that ever happening before. Um, so again, I, I just, I, I think we're just kind of looking for a problem that doesn't really exist. So I just, you know, have an issue with the whole, the whole thing. Would you want to bifurcate? For, yeah, for I would the, like, I would, okay. yeah, yeah. You want to make an amendment? Well, I or you want to bifurcate it? Well, I'd like uh, to amend to remove the thing, for the, the part that says that only the person listed uh, on the request can speak. And also, if you, I mean, you could do it separately. I also believe this repeat delegation is not appropriate either. Which one other one, Mr. Ronald? The, the one that's the repeat delegation. The one per no, quarter? No, one delegation, okay. one topic, one quarter. Why don't quarter. we, okay. Mr. Mayor? Uh, yes, uh, hold on. Um, so the Vice Mayor's warning to basically remove cannot appear one time a quarter and speakers list on delegation requests only at this particular time. Is that correct from, correct from this particular resolution? Senator Galloway, uh, Senator Rich has left in the one part that is yeah. what I was that introducing, exactly but right. since staff had requested the other two, I can I so. ask staff to comment? You can definitely ask that. Staff meaning a uh, county attorney, attorney, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if it was administration or whether it was the county attorney's office. County attorney. the, the, thank you, Mayor and Senator. The, the part that Senator Rich uh, mentioned about the repeat delegation requests, that we actually left in here inadvertently, and you had mentioned it at the last meeting. We, we don't feel strongly about that if it becomes a problem in the future. Obviously, it's something the board can consider. The, the last part, however, Senator Rich, about only the, the folks uh, who are listed on the forum can speak. That is our current interpretation of it. If the board wants to change that, that's okay. This is the board's procedure, uh, but that is consistent with our current interpretation. It's just the main person would get three minutes and up to two additional folks could be listed. They would get two minutes each. We don't currently allow someone to just hand it off to someone even if they run into a traffic situation. That's purely a policy decision. So, okay. Does that answer your question, Senator? Uh, yeah, yes, Ms. Mayor. So I think everybody agrees, based on what the yeah, county attorney has said, that we should eliminate the no repeat part. Right. And I haven't heard anybody object to the no commercial advertising. So which the is the main question, part that you were talking which, about moving what I forward? Want. Okay. And so the only qu remaining question is about whether or not the so, name. Yeah. People. So we're going to have additional comments from the commission. I've got Commissioner Fur, followed Mayor. by Commissioner Rogers. Followed by Commissioner Dean. Okay, real quick, I support the your amendment. The the part about repeat, I think the people should have the right to repeat. I do think we should know who's talking, and I think that's that just makes sense. Um, so if somebody has, if they're the ones who have asked for the delegation, and they're saying who's speaking. I think that's. Um, I think that I think we should include that. Just a point of reference when we move on to Commissioner Rogers. Um, Mr. Myers, if, if, for, if we had that policy in place, and it is now, um, and somebody for some reason could not speak but got a call in traffic, can the mayor, city mayor, make that determination for that person to speak? You, you, the, the mayor always has uh, latitude. That's what, that's what I figured. I just wanted for the record that the mayor does have that obligate, you know, the opportunity to do that, okay? Commissioner Rogers? 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I see that we're building consensus around the right to repeat. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't believe someone would drive all the way from Sunrise West to come to this commission chamber just to waste time. I think they will do it because there's a reason. And I believe we don't need to stop people from speaking and having conversation with their elected official. And I know how we know how to control the meetings. I'm saying I have more city commission meetings as a local elected official than we do here. I've been, I marvel that we get so much done with maybe two meetings a month. I'm accustomed to more in a small environment. So I think we need to give people an opportunity to speak. Thank you very much. Commissioner Dean. <clears throat> Senator Rich made a motion to amend to take out the two pieces that staff put in. Is that? She hadn't made the motion uh, yet. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna second on. that so that we have that on the table. So we're just voting on Senator yes, Geller's thing, which no, I support. I wanted, I wanted to make sure there was a commission discussion on the item itself. Okay, that's okay. Okay. All right. I'm gonna recognize Commissioner Dean's motion at this point to eliminate everything except what Senator Geller wanted to put in to begin with. And it was been seconded by Vice Mayor. Senator Geller. I would like to amend that motion to go along with what Commissioner Furr said and what I think, which is to say that we will go with the no commercial advertising and we will go with the, um, you have to have the named person speaking, except the mayor can always do, uh, use their discretion and eliminate the part about no repeat. Uh, I thought that that was what we had consensus on, Commissioner. So I'm, I'm going okay to because I have an amendment now on the floor already. Right. Only because that's the practice right now. You're supposed to right. put the name down, and then the mayor can use the right. discretion that's that awesome. he or she has at the time. So that's why I just wanted to remove okay. the two things that we had. County as attorney, as well. do we need this in? If you think we should put it in, if it's our current practice, I, I think it's a little better to have that in because. This discussion could you know, lead someone to conclude that our practice has changed. Again, it is a call for the mayor, and then because it's a point of order, waiving a procedural rule, basically, the whole board would get a chance to chime in in any specific instance. So it's probably slightly better to have that last part in, but frankly, it's, it's not a huge difference either way. Okay. So you're trying to make an amendment like to the amendment. Amend the amendment to put in the leave it put in the language which is our current practice is that okay with you commissioner i'd I, I, I like I'll accept it I, as a friendly amendment. i like then commissioner dean would you want to come back with a new amendment that encompasses that spread second okay. first and Got all it. that good stuff thank uh, you all right so i'm going to make a motion that we remove the repeat delegation piece yeah. and that we accept senator geller's original reason for bringing this that portion stays in and with respect to the, the speaker, we, our practice would always be that the speaker should be the person that signed up or at the discretion of the chair of the meeting. I think that's, yeah, I think that's palatable, yeah. okay? Second. That's moved to second by Vice Mayor, who had seconded it originally. Right. Okay, any further discussion on the amendment? All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries 8-0. Now we're voting on the amended resolution. Is there a motion? Move. Moved by Senator Geller, second. seconded by Commissioner Dean. For discussion, all in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries 8 0. Things that up pretty well. Thank you so much. Item number 56.
The public hearing on item 56 is now open. Our final public hearing item is 56, which has two parts. The board will consider and vote on both parts at the same time. Part A is a motion to waive section 18.5.E.1 of the County Administrative Code, which requires that the board first direct the county attorney to draft a proposed ordinance. Part B is a motion to enact ordinance pertaining to lobbying and amending various sections of chapters 1 and 26 of the County Code of Ordinances. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this okay, item. Public portion now closed. Commission discussion? Is there a motion? So moved. Moved by Commissioner Dean, seconded by? Second. By Vice Mayor. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries 8-0. That concludes our public hearings. Thank you so much. We're back on our regular agenda. Item number 57. Item 57, motion A is a motion to approve agreement between Broward County and Broward County Bridge Builders for passenger boarding bridges replacement at Broward County's Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Motion B is a motion to approve new contract allowance account for unforeseen conditions and owner requested changes, increasing the agreement amount from $29,487,748 to $33,645,146. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Thank you. Commission discussion? Is there a motion? Move approval. Moved by Senator Geller, seconded by Commissioner Rogers on A and B. Any further discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries 8-0. Thank you. Item 58. Item number 58, motion A is a motion to approve sole source designation of AI Clear LLC to operate a third-party registered passenger screening concession at Broward County's Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Motion B is a motion to approve registered traveler concession agreement between Broward County and AI Clear LLC for the non-exclusive right to operate a third-party registered traveler's passenger screening concession at Broward County's Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Motion C is a motion to approve terminal building lease agreement between Broward County and AI Clear for the lease and use of Type 1 support space in Terminals 1, 2, and 4 at Broward County's Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Thank you. Commission discussion? Move it. Just a question. Yes, Commissioner Furr? It, um, it says AI Clear. Is that artificial intelligence clear? Is that what that stands for? Just so I know. Uh, Renee wants to answer that question as she's looking towards the microphone. Oh, it just yeah. says AL. Okay. All clear. Okay. Any further any for discussion on the item? So motion to move 58A through C. I'll move it. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Dean, and seconded by Senator Geller. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries eight to zero. Thank you. Item number fifty-nine. Item fifty-nine is a motion to award open-end contract to low responsive responsible bidder Go Green Dry Clean Inc. doing business as Dry Clean USA for uniform laundering and repair services for the aviation department. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Very good. Is there any commission discussion? Move approved. Is there a motion? Moved by Senator Geller, seconded by Commissioner Dean. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries 8 0. With Commissioner McKenzie, of course, voting the affirmative there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, can we not move them over or something? Item number 60. <laughs> Item, item 60 is a motion to approve threshold increase for open-end contract with John Bean Technology Corporation for the purchase of replacement parts and materials for the Broward County Aviation Department and the estimated amount of $400,000 for a maximum potential estimated amount of $1,800,000. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Thank you, Commission discussion. Is there a motion? Senator Geller moves it. Moved it by Commissioner McKenzie. 
got great ears. <laughs> <laughs> All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries 8 to 0. Thank you. Item 63. Item 63 is a motion to discuss appointment of commissioners to serve on the board of directors for the Broward League of Cities in the following categories. Director, alternate, second alternate. No member of the public has signed up to speak on this item. Thank you. So just for the record, uh, the current status is it was a commissioner first, the director, and then and the alternate was Commissioner Dean, my understanding, and I was the second uh, alternate. Is that correct? Is there any, any changes? Anybody want to make a motion? Go for no. it. Move approval. <laughs> Move to make the same people stay there. The slate. <laughs> That's been moved by Senator Geller, seconded by Vice Mayor Rich. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries yeah, eight mayor, to zero. Some of the I know, yeah. you're right. The commissioner right. in the League of Cities. And, and just, this is my last year doing this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to I, I want to. Then we're going to put Commissioner Rogers in there. Yeah. While this is, the solid waste is going on. Right. I think you need to be there. need to be there. Well, yeah, and after that, get me out of there. Really? Okay, <laughs> item 66, our next item. Years. <laughs> the shaping? You want us to read that? Hmm? The shape, is that the shade? That's, that's, that's the shade. That's shade. That's oh, the I'm shade sorry. Name. I apologize. You're right. Okay. So, well, of course, we have to come back to item number 68, I believe it was, because if this and Commissioner Bogue is not here, I'm going to uh, entertain a motion to table or, or postpone for two weeks to our next meeting. Is that correct? Or can we motion do that? To postpone two weeks. Or, or not, uh, is he Mr. Mr. Myers? Yes, I mean, it's up, it's up to you, Mayor. I know you're doing in here also the transportation uh, item. So right. you, could, you could either delay it if you want okay. before the shade or we'll give, we'll give it the, We'll give it the benefit of the doubt then at this particular time. The shade, I thought we were moving to 430 for the, for the transportation. So, so Mr. Mayor, at, at the end of um, your regular portion of the commission meeting, we're staying in this room for the transportation workshop. At that point, we will... Um, kind of adjourn and go into the shade in room 430. Okay, so I can't adjourn this meeting, obviously. I just have to to postpone it at this particular time or yes, just to recess. recess the meeting. So we're going to recess our meeting now, and we're set to have our transportation workshop here at noon. So I think we're going to take just a quick 12-minute break, let our, our wonderful uh, clerk in the back to take a break, folks to take a break, and we come back at noon. Is that okay? Can I, yes, can and, I just and ask our, one question? Oh. Yes. So after we do the transportation meeting, we have to come back in here to open up 66, and then we're going to go there. Can we take care of 68 before we go into the shade meeting so we don't well, have to come back? You don't, you don't have Bogan here. Well, so, so at that point, after transportation, we, we have to reopen and then go Correct. into we'll be on. I just don't want to have to come back after the, transport, uh, the, the second one for 68. So if Commissioner Bogan's here by the time you're done with transportation, you can take it off. Otherwise, you We're can. We're going to vote on exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Correct. So recess until noon, everybody. And yes, you have, Mr. You have Bureau, your, I don't know your sandwiches are in the, in the. Sandwiches are back here. Okay. Down. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. 10 minute recess. And Thank you. Monica, are we supposed to eat our sandwiches from the dais? Okay. Inhale it. <laughs> well, I have to degratify it first.
I mean, I, my, ke my commission's here. Kevin, I know. Can you just be here, Kevin? Sapiro, which Mr. Culler has gone to retrieve, um, but I, hopefully we can get started here. Everybody get their seats, okay? I don't know if Monica wanted to do an intro or not, but. There you are. <laughs> really? So the 12, the 12 minutes wasn't enough time, is that correct, Commissioner McKenzie? I did, I just did. I just had Kevin go get her. My apologies, we're doing a little bit of work and trying to eat. <laughs> Sorry. So Ms. Sapiro, I'm going to let you do the intro, Ms. Corey. And, uh, I will duly take it for all of us. <laughs> so, let's um, get our transportation workshop on the road. <laughs> So thank you. I didn't hear a second, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> so thank you, Mr. Mayor and uh, commissioners. So today we have our transportation workshop, long awaited, um, exciting unveiling um, at, this, uh, at this esteemed body for our PRIMO plan. I know many of you have been uh, long awaiting this and so we're very excited to bring this to you today. Our uh, director, general manager, Corey Cuff-Lonergan will lead us in this discussion and the presentation. And if possible, Mr. Mayor, I think it would be um, well served if we can get through the presentation and we can um, you know, entertain questions after because we want to make sure we get all the components on the table because some of the later slides might answer some of the questions that might You took arise. the words out of my mouth. Thank you, sir. You know, I like to do with all the presentation first, then we yes, open sir. discussions. So thank, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Corey, good afternoon. Thank you so yes, much for you, being Monica, here. Monica, and good afternoon, Mayor Fisher, Vice Mayor Rich, and fellow commissioners. Uh, glad to be here today to walk you through the uh, proposal we have for the PRIMO plan. Um, we have had individual conversations about it, and so what we would like to do today is to kind of walk through initially what we talked about, some of the responses to what we've heard, and then some of the next steps. So um, we're going to do a brief overview, talk about what we've heard, talk about some of the outreach activities that we've done, go over our capital cost summary, talk about our funding framework, and then our next steps. Okay, so the strategy remains the same. We're basically trying to invest in a countywide network of premium transportation service that's modern, convenient, um, reliable, and safe for uh, all the visitors and residents of Broward County. Uh, the goals remain the same. First of all, we want to integrate and serve our communities. We want to improve mobility for all. We want to implement equitable transportation solutions. We want to be environmental stewards. And we want to make sure that this results in economic development. So here's what we gain. Um, at the end of the process, we'll have over 200 miles of new premium service. Uh, 
The service will carry approximately 23 million annual riders. We're looking at a 100% electric bus fleet. We'll have new intelligent transportation systems, and we'll have a system that integrates seamlessly uh, to every extent possible into the communities that we serve, recognizing that it want, we want it to be aesthetically as appealing as possible. Um, and so uh, we are going to be connecting our major economic engines, the port, the seaport, and the convention center. And true to form, as we connect those uh, economic engines, we'll be in a position to provide a truly um, intermodal, facility, intermodal system on steroids, right? So we'll have the airport and the seaport and transit all together. And that's not something you find in many cities around the country. So what, why, where? So just to remind everybody of how we kind of got to this space, um, the, the idea here is that we were very focused on the data. Where the data took us is where we made our recommendations. And it's very important to um, be uh, mindful of that data because it informs the federal and state funding eligibility that we would like to pursue. Uh, quite frankly, uh, as part of our financial framework, we're looking at about a 50% ask from the federal government to support these projects. And um, what is going to be important is that we have the right models uh, available and the right data to substantiate those uh, requests. And then, you know, we want to make sure that we put these corridors in places where we have the right ridership and the demand. Okay, so um, this is today's network. Um, this is all of our existing fixed route service and our express service. As you can see, we cover a majority of the county. Um, and uh, actually, this represents about uh, 76,000 daily riders. Uh, we are up in our ridership from last year from about 13%. We're not quite at pre-pandemic levels, but we're getting there. Uh, we're at about 87%, which is a little bit higher than the national average. Um, and so we also have park and ride lots that we've opened around the county. And as you can see, this, these are located primarily in the southwestern corridors of our county. Um, and they represent about 1,200 spaces that we have available for express bus service to Miami. And then here we have our community shuttles. The community shuttles are located in 17 municipalities. And here's our Primo network. So this is what we're here to talk about. Uh, that's the 200 miles of new premium service, 11.5 miles of commuter rail, 23.3 miles of light rail transit, 76 miles of bus rapid transit, and then 100 miles of high frequency transit. And as you can see from the key on the um, above, you can see that we have east-west corridors covered as well as north-south corridors. Um, one of the things that's very different from the map that you saw when we did our briefings is the north corridor for the commuter rail line. Um, we've added that line uh, back into the um, premium service map um, because that's a future goal of ours is to cross the new river and head north. And we heard a lot of feedback from the counties in the north and cities and municipalities in the north that they wanted to see that representation there. So we put it back on the map. I just wanted to draw your attention to that. And then we have our Broward County um, commuter rail south at the bottom of the map there in yellow. And lastly, these are some new services that will evolve as a part of the surtax. And they're located primarily in the southwestern portion of the 
uh, County. Uh, these lines include uh, Flamingo Road, Douglas Road, Griffith Road, and Palm Avenue. Again, these are brand new services that don't exist today. They'll be primarily uh, fed by bus, um, and this is again based on the surtax. We did go to the municipal planning organization, and they did react to the map, and they noticed that there were some holes in the map. And so we um, took a look at what we were sharing here and decided to add all of the services that will be uh, integral to optimizing premium mobility in the um, county. And then the FLA Live Arena uh, park and ride lot will be replaced with a new Western Intermodal Center. And as you can see, that just popped up on the far left. That's where a lot of our service converges, our, our bus rapid transit lines, our light rail service, our high frequency service, and then some of our fixed route service. Okay, so this is how it lays out over time. Um, when we had our one-on-one -on -one briefings, we talked through this schedule. Just a couple of reminders. We believe that our commuter rail service is going to be in place first um, with the scheduled opening in 2027, followed um, by our first BRT and LRT lines, and then we'll progressively move the schedule forward um, and, comp and completing on uh, Sunrise Boulevard in 2038. Uh, as we talked about during the briefings, this schedule is very deliberately laid out over time so that we can take advantage of lessons learned early in the process and apply those learnings to the back end, and in which case we believe that we can even compress the schedule more because we'll have those lessons learned represented in um, our, uh, our work product. Okay, so looking ahead five years. So our first Premium service goes into um, existence in 2026 with our high-frequency corridors. They'll be launched. 2027 will be our commuter rail, as I already mentioned. And then in 2028, we'll have our bus rapid transit and first light rail transit uh, open. So, you know, that I know that the commission, when you met back in January, there was a lot of interest in making sure that we started moving these projects forward. And we heard you loud and clear. Um, and we want to see these projects moving forward as quickly as we possibly can. But over the next couple years, we have to do some preparatory work to make sure that we can deliver on them, right? So we're talking about uh, looking at the service integration, um, making sure we have the equipment procured, um, looking at uh, completing our environmental requirements and doing our design development, and then getting our workforce ready to receive the new service. So um, how did we get here? or how do we get there, rather. Um, so first, um, we recognize that we need to make sure that this is a priority for the county um, and that all the organizations that work within county government are supportive of this project and that it is seen as a priority in it. And we've gotten those commitments from our colleagues in various departments around the county. Um, also, what's important for us to do is to make sure that we have the resources um, as we've, you've heard me say before, we are a bus company now. We're going to evolve into a construction company and eventually into a multimodal operator. That's really exciting, right? And so to get there, we need help. Um, we need external resources to help us with that through contracts with con uh, consultants and technical advisors and uh, contractors. And so um, thank you very much for approving the um, 
GEC, the uh, GEC that was on the agenda earlier. That's part of the strategy for us to advance this program, and that's part of the early efforts. So thank you for that. Um, but also, we need to do our outreach to make people aware of what's coming. And we have a couple things in the pipeline I'd like to share. June 2nd will be part of the small business workshop. We'll be presenting the um, Primo program to about 700 small um, businesses. Um, we'll also be hosting our own industry day uh, in mid-June, mid to late June. And then lastly, we're going to do market sounding so that we have input from contractors and um, designers and engineers to help us develop the program even better. Um, we have to pursue those alternative delivery strategies. As we've talked about previously, design, bid, build does not get us where we need to get to as quickly as we need to get there. And so we need to really look at those alternative delivery strategies that are used um, around the nation, have also been used in some instances here in the county. Um, and so we will be pursuing those. And in our assumptions with the schedule that's bold, ambitious, and um, one that we are really trying to make happen, we've assumed that some of those projects will be either design, bid, design build, design, build, operate, maintain, or a construction manager at risk. And then um, we have to do our procurements fast, right? They have to just move. And then also um, we know that we are, we are lucky to have the surtax here in the county, but the reality is, is that that surtax is not only meant for the capital investment, but it's also meant for the trailing operating and maintenance uh, costs that we'll incur, not only from the fixed route service that we have today, but also from the, um, the new improvements that we're making. So accordingly, we're looking to secure alternative funding um, in addition to the surtax. And then lastly, you know, it's all about continuous learning and improvement. As I mentioned earlier, you know, those early works projects will inform the back end and we're gonna be very um, mindful of capturing those lessons learned and documenting them and putting a process in place to capture and implement in later dates. Okay, so the pro Michael, can you get the, the, the projection back on our screens here? We've lost it somehow. There we go, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the program risks remain the same as what, what we talked about during our briefings. Um, the market is doing what it does right now, so we're in this post-COVID era. And unfortunately, uh, from a construction perspective, it hasn't stabilized as much as we would like it to. So that's a risk that we envision that will um, continue. While we're hopeful that it will shift and become more normalized, the reality is we're not sure and there's a lot of uncertainty there. That pricing, the, um, that pricing issue also shows up from a scheduling perspective in terms of equipment and materials being available when we need them. We also recognize that there's some consensus building that we need to do um, to move the program forward and that could potentially add to some schedule delays. And then um, because we're going to be using other people's money, we're subject to their requirements. And as such, we will be subject to federal and state reviews based on their schedules and their staffing avail availability. Um, the project delivery adoption is going to be a risk. If we don't move forward with those ideas, we may not be able to meet our schedule. Uh, Third-party agreements are very important that we get those right. Um, we do not own the railroad that we'll be putting our commuter rail service on. That's owned by the uh, FEC. 
um, and they also have Brightline on that service. So we have to negotiate and navigate those deals, um, and that they have uh, legal requirements and commercial requirements that we're going to have to negotiate. I'm sure that we won't do it at any cost, right? It has to be reasonable, but at this point, we're not sure what that looks like. And then also we have the interlocal agreements, particularly important um, for the commuter rail line because that commuter rail line is a true regional service and it will connect with Miami-Dade to the south and um, Palm Beach to the north. Then we have the regulatory risk from an environmental perspective, making sure that all of our environmental documents are uh, reviewed on time and are approved. And then um, one of the things that we definitely are is a bus company. And so we have a lot of, uh, we have two maintenance locations for our bus and we're expanding, as you know, the Copens facility to get ready for the new service. Um, and we, we do need another location as well. But having said that, we don't have any rail maintenance facilities. That's brand new to us. So not only do we have to build those um, those uh, maintenance facilities, we have to build a rail yard to store the uh, cars in, and then we're also gonna have to acquire property to do that. And that's not factored into our costs at this point because it's a highly unknown um, situation there, so that's a risk that um, is in, in play as well. Uh, again, workforce development and being ready to take on the new service and uh, take on the construction activities. And then lastly, public expectations. We recognize that we're five years into the surtax. We have to deliver. We want to deliver. Um, and with your approval uh, in June, um, we'll start to get the wheels in motion to get that delivery going. Okay, so here's what we heard from the, each of you as we met with you one-on-one. -on -one. um, a lot of talk about the customer experience, so that was something that came up. Um, making sure that the, the proper uh, transit system integration happened, that we focused on transit-oriented development, that we looked at affordable housing. That came up in several conversations. And then um, looking at new technologies. Are we preparing for today? Or are we preparing for 15 years from now? And are we preparing for 50 years from now? So that was a challenge that you put in front of us. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a little bit. And then um, we talked about uh, traffic impacts. Uh, that was a highlight of some of the conversations as well. So from a customer experience perspective, what we did here was that, you know, a belief that, you know, the, the existing buses don't, aren't as inviting as perhaps what we need to do for the premium service. And we recognize that we do need to make some adjustments. So we're going to be looking at equipment that is modern, attractive, and comfortable and welcoming to our, our riders. Um, looking at enhanced security on the system and at our, at our stations and uh, on our, our vehicles. Um, making sure that we have the right connectivity on vehicles and at stations. Um, and that's a, that means that, you know, we're all carrying these phones around. We want to be able to tap into the Wi-Fi everywhere. We do have Wi-Fi on um, the majority of our fleet now. Um, but going forward, we want to make sure we have that connectivity as well and that we have that connect connectivity at the stations that we'll, um, where, where passengers will be waiting for the service. 
And then what's really important is that we focus on our digital signage and customer communications. So um, one of the things that was celebrated today was Mental Health Awareness Month, right? And so one of the things that we have been doing in honor of this month is we have digital displays on our buses and at our uh, transit locations as Broward County Transit recognizes Mental um, Health Awareness Month. So that's something, a way to communicate to our customers going forward, we need to implement that digital technology as well. And then the other thing, too, is that we just celebrated an amazing accomplishment at our, our Larder Hill Transit Center, right? So that is the only facility in the country of its kind that has the LEED Gold certification. And we're very excited and very um, grateful that we've made that, um, that splash nationally. But again, that sets the bar, right? So what do we do for customers going forward? Now, can we build a Lauder Hill Transit Center everywhere? No, that's not practical, um, and that's not what we're talking about. But meeting those kind of environmental standards are important to us. And again, that's a game changer for customers. People will make a choice in some instances to use your service because of your environmental stewardship. OK, so system integration came up uh, quite a bit, um, making sure that the Primo system integrates with other systems and it kind of has a spine and so that connectivity is there and so that will be one of the things that we'll be working for working on during the project development and environmental stage um, we will be doing a comprehensive operational analysis and that um, will be an opportunity for us to look at our existing transit service and look at where people want to go now compared to what they wanted to do five years ago and looking ahead to where future development might be working on um, may be happening to make sure that we have the new service to support that and so that's something that will start in uh, 2024 and uh, we're really excited because that's going to inform us a lot on some of the fixed route service that we have um, that will complement the premium service but also it's going to be an opportunity to really get into that first last mile uh, concept that you know is, is predominantly part of the engagement now in the transit community um, and then regional connectivity we recognize that we don't want to do anything in isolation we do want to be good regional stewards and um, we're looking at that making sure that we integrate with the with our partners up north and in the south okay so um, I do have helping me out with this presentation today I have Arethea Douglas, who is our Assistant General Manager of our Capital Program. She's going to be responsible for the delivery of the Primo plan. And then I also have um, Tim Garland, who's our uh, Deputy Director of uh, Transportation. And Tim is going to walk you through the next couple phases of the presentation, followed by Arethea, and then I'm going to close it out. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, you know, when we talk about Primo a lot, we spend a lot of time talking about the actual transportation projects. But one of the real benefits of these investments is the impact that you can have on the economy of the community, the livability of the community. And that manifests itself in transit-oriented development. So when, when we talk about transit-oriented development, we, we really mean that mixed-use type of development, you know, those uh, close-in developments to where the transit stations are, where you can, you know, live, learn, work, and play all in, in that same area. And the benefit that you see across the country where they have TODs 
is by having all those things you need to do to live nearby and leveraging transit use, vehicle miles travel can actually go down, right? You can actually reduce traffic congestion, right? So by sort of changing your land use, supporting that with transit, you actually make a more livable, more uh, friendly uh, community. It's typical of a TOD that uh, you know, the, the distance that people walk to transit is something in the neighborhood of about a 10 minute walk or so. You know, that, uh, you know it, it's close in where uh, you, it makes it a pedestrian experience and you can kind of expand that radius a little bit if you uh, connect uh, these transit stations with say a bike lane or bike pass, things like that. Uh, all of which uh, end, end up uh, something you leverage to make your uh, transit development more friendly to customers. So there are success stories about TOD all across the country, and I just want to bring up a couple of them. And the first one is a light rail success story in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they actually started that system in Phoenix about 2008. Uh, it's now grown to about a 28-mile system. It had a cost of about $2.1 billion to construct. And if you think about Phoenix, it has some similarities to here. It, it was a very car-centric place you know, before light rail was put in. It was spread out all over the valley. Uh, so a lot of the same kind of, uh, same kind of issues that, that we face, they had. And when they put this uh, light rail system in, uh, they found that they uh, resulted in something in the neighborhood of $14 billion of uh, economic development along that rail line. Significant development over that time. And you know, so they, they tout the benefits of that. It was, I think they're obvious, but you know, uh, improved access to, to jobs for people. Uh, it certainly increased economic activity, so their sales taxes went up. Uh, affordable housing uh, was a component of the development. Uh, property values increased nearby. And uh, uh, by creating this kind of very vibrant area, there was a lot of uh, additional uh, pedestrian traffic, which helped retail. And it also provided great accessibility to the workforce and a, uh, an ability for a diverse workforce uh, to support the area. And you know, when you talk about TODs, uh, many times you talk about rail. You know, it is a very kind of traditional discussion. But bus rapid transit also has experiences across the country where we see success from transit-oriented development. And one of the uh, most notable ones is in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland put in a BRT 2008. It was about a $200 million project, approximately seven miles along the Euclid Avenue corridor, uh, which kind of supported a, a, a major sort of uh, health district in, um, in the, the downtown area of Cleveland. Uh, what they found uh, with this development is uh, they were able to generate about $9.5 billion of economic development that went along with just the BRT project. Um, Cleveland State University, you can, you can see on, on this list some of the uh, uh, developments that occurred. Cleveland State University, University of Hospital, uh, Cleveland Museum of Art, Cleveland Clinic Foundation. Significant numbers of residential and dorm units were put in, hotels. Uh, in total, uh, they say some 23 million square feet of development along the bus rapid transit lines and leveraging some 13,000 new jobs. So, so BRTs, and, and if you look at our plan, uh, BRTs are an important part of our plan. Uh, BRTs uh, also are a, a good opportunity for uh, uh, transit-oriented development. And the unique part of this line, 
uh, it's very typical of premium services uh, that transit systems put into place that you have some kind of branding, some special branding to attract and, and uh, you know, create a, uh, you know, a brand for people to um, uh, follow and to, uh, to use. Uh, what they did in Cleveland is the transit agency actually sold the naming rights to this BRT. They call it the health line. They sold the naming rights to the Cleveland Clinic and the University of Hospitals. It was a 25-year deal for about $6.25 million. So um, uh, that money is used for, to help offset some, it, it doesn't pay for everything, but it helps offset some of the operating expenses of the system. So, you know, it has, has a uh, real value. So it's just an example of transit-oriented development. Sort of a subset of transit-oriented development is affordable housing. And, you know, I, th I think, you know, particularly this commission full well knows the, the story and the, the issues of, of affordable housing. Generally, people of lower incomes disproportionately ride transit. Uh, housing is usually the number one expense for a family, followed closely by transportation. Those two things together, uh, you know, make it make it difficult on, on families to to live. So, anything that can be done to increase the supply of affordable housing near transit, where maybe a maybe a family doesn't need a car, or maybe they don't need two cars, uh, puts money back in people's pockets and uh, helps make uh, uh, improve their livability and their situation. And having our Primo system uh, provides, uh, I think, tremendous opportunities to leverage those investments and to try to work on projects of affordable housing. And just sort of one more success story for today, uh, I want to talk about something that has happened recently in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, the uh, Amazon actually uh, chose Northern Virginia uh, to be their headquarters. And in sort of an effort to give back to the community, uh, they partnered with the, the Washington Metro, with the transit agency, on affordable housing. So how it works, if uh, the, the metro agency had a joint development agreement uh, for areas nearby their stations, uh, Amazon um, committed to do $125 million of below market capital mm -hmm. to help facilitate uh, those kinds of investments. And their goal is to try to get close to um, 1,000 new affordable um, uh, residences uh, nearby, uh, you know, throughout the, the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, they've already got started, this is like uh, 2021, they've already got a couple of projects underway. Uh, in Maryland, uh, there's a 251 unit uh, mixed-use development, uh, 251 units of affordable housing in that development in College Park, Maryland. And then there are 291 units at New Carrollton. Uh, all of these are main transit uh, system uh, stations and now you can leverage mixed-use development like we talked about with the TOD with a important affordable housing component. And it just shows you that you know, there are opportunities. The investments that, that we make, the important investments that we make in Primo creates opportunities to enhance our economic development and uh, address affordable housing. So with that, I'd like to introduce Aretha Douglas, our Assistant General Manager in charge of delivering the capital program and she's going to talk about emergency technologies. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. We heard from you when we met to talk a little bit and to look into some technologies and some technologies that are emerging. As we develop the projects on each corridor, we will evaluate various emerging technologies. Technologies are evolving, and we will incorporate them where feasible. 
For instance, we will look at creating a modern state-of-the-art multimodal communications rail and bus control center. On your screen, you'll see our existing um, control center and what the proposed consent, um, control center could look like in the future. We'll also look at utilizing metaverse, um, metaverse employee training on route inductive electric vehicle charging for supplementing charging while the buses are in service, communications-based control systems, collision avoidance detection systems on our vehicles, real-time passenger information systems, and look at autonomous vehicle technology. That technology is emerging and has great promise, and several counties and agencies around the country are planning and have initiated pilot projects. In Jacksonville, for instance, in Jacksonville, for instance, the first phase of ultimate urban circulator is is in development and will provide a three-mile autonomous shuttle line in downtown Jacksonville. This will connect major sports stadium, uh, major sports stadiums and entertainment venues along Bay Street with the existing Skyway monorail. The initial cost for that project is sixty million. The second phase will connect the autonomous shuttle with the Skyway system, utilizing an existing monorail tracks that will be converted into the elevated roadway for the autonomous vehicles. This project, if proven to be successful, will lay the foundation for other agencies to build on. Wanted to also talk a little bit about traffic impacts when we introduce the high premium um, services into existing corridors. That was um, something that we heard while we met with, with you um, on, from several of you, and we wanted to talk a little bit about it here. The, we will be looking at potentially using dedicated lanes for both BRT and LRT service, and where possible, we'll also integrate business access transit lanes where those are feasible. As part of the project development phase, project development and environmental phase, we will look at each corridor, e evaluate the current traffic volumes and look the potential impact of traffic and how to mitigate that impact by using different traffic mitigation techniques. We'll look at the use of one-way pairs, the use of right and left turn movements from the dedicated lanes, and we'll also work with FDOT to look at lane repurposing and see how um, and what improvements we can make to improve safety and improve connectivity for pedestrians, bicyclists, and automobiles within the corridor. In addition to that, and a key part of what we'll need to incorporate will be the use of transit signal priority and other traffic type signalization systems to help mitigate the traffic impacts on these corridors. In addition, we also um, heard we need to touch the communities. We need to talk to the stakeholders and we need to have discussions with the cities for impact and the public also. So a key part of that implementation of the Primo plan is the outreach. And staff has been working with cities and working alongside our public outreach consultants and have continued a robust effort to reach the public and the key stakeholders. Generally, the plan has been well received with cities expressing some comments about the plan and how it would affect their cities. To date, we have contacted 
10 groups, groups such as Broward MPO, Broward Workshop, Committee Greater Fort Lauderdale Chambers of Commerce, Broward League of Cities, to name a few. And we have confirmed 80% of those meetings with 30% completed. We've also contacted 100% of the municipalities. 97% of those um, cities have, concern, uh, have confirmed and we have completed 68% of those meetings. Cities still pending are Sunrise, North Lauderdale, Hollandale Beach, West Park, Daniel Beach, Coconut Creek, and Pompano Beach. Thank you. And I'll ask Corey to come back up to finish the presentation. Thank you. Okay, so um, for the low, low price of, right? <laughs> um, so we're looking at about $4.3 billion. Again, we are at the planning stage, so this is rough order of magnitude numbers. Um, we do believe that uh, that number is going to grow, particularly since we have not identified the uh, light rail maintenance facilities, the location, and the building. So there, that those numbers aren't baked in yet, and so we'll have to um, circle back and get those numbers to you as we get further along in the process. Um, the, as I mentioned earlier, we're primarily looking at surtax for quite a bit of the funding, at, particularly on the O&M side on the back end, um, but we are going to seek about 50% uh, of our um, funding um, requirements through federal grants and then 25% um, from the state with a 25% contribution from the surtax. Um, we are also looking at grant opportunities beyond the traditional federal trans transit administration. And a couple of things for additional revenue. Um, you know, Tim talked about the health line and how that was branded and there were naming rights there. You know, that's something that we can look at too for our, our um, plans. Now, let's be realistic about it. Unfortunately, those dollars don't traditionally help with the initial capital costs. They kind of help on the back end in terms of maintenance. Uh, and O&M costs, so that's probably where those would best be suited to uh, support this. And then there's always joint development opportunities. So Tim talked about TOD, but what we're talking about here is leveraging the property that we have and perhaps going vertical and seeking some um, joint development opportunities. And so we'll be working with Larry and his team to try to find developers who may be interested in working with us on some of those kinds of projects. So, um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, we don't want, while we want those dollars to be a part of this effort, we don't want to slow down our, our plans um, to have those deals come to fruition. So we've got to just really balance that appropriately. Um, and so the last uh, couple things to talk about are the, the one thing that people kept saying, how are you going to convince people to get out of their cars and get on the system, right? And, you know, I, I wish we had a magic bullet that said, everybody, once we build this, they will come. Well, once they build it, the development will come. We do know that because there's evidence of that. But the reality is, is that the ridership numbers are what they are, they're projections, and they won't be there on day one. But what we're going to do is our part to change the hearts and minds of those drivers through publicity, promotion, advertising, delivering quality, dependable, reliable service to convince people to get out of their cars. We do know that Gen Z is not particularly interested in owning cars. And that is a good population that we could start to convince to, to come to transit. Now, those of us in the room who are either baby boomers, 
or early Gen X, uh, yeah, Gen X, right, may be familiar with some of the campaigns that really did change the hearts and minds of, of our, our generations. And first, if you recall the Smokey the Bear campaign, right? I mean, when you think about it, it does make you smile. But what did that do? It made us super conscientious around campfires and being um, good stewards of the forest when we're in them. And the other campaign that comes to mind is the Do Not Litter campaign. That's huge. I remember seeing people tossing things out of the windows of their car when they were going down the street. You rarely see that now, if at ever. Those campaigns work. They changed America. They changed our behaviors. And so we believe those types of call to action um, campaigns will help us fill up our system and get our riders engaged in and on. So in terms of next steps, uh, we're looking at uh, our outreach continuing through June 15th. Um, we have the workshop today and um, looking forward to come back to you um, for adoption if you are comfortable with that on June the 13th. While we really enjoy the planning phase, and I mean this sincerely, this is fun, but the more fun part is actually building it. And we really want to get there. And so with your support on June the 13th, we can make it happen. And now we're open it up for discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a great presentation. What a great team at the Thank end of the you. day. So we're going to open up for commission discussion. So Vice Mayor and then followed by Senator Geller. So thank you for your presentation. And I just want to refer everyone to an article. You really don't have to go much further than Miami-Dade to see what you've just been talking about. There was a fabulous article in the paper uh, Sunday uh, by uh, Amber the Amber Andres Biglucci. Big and it's all about exactly this, the, the transit corridor orientation and building along it. Um, I, I was, I grew up in Dade, so I was just, and I <laughs> used to drive, that's the US one all the time. It is just amazing. And this, the whole um, Douglas redevelopment plan along Douglas Road is just incredible. Um, I just, I looked at some of the, you know, some of the others that you mentioned, but I just said, I think, um, I know having sent the article to, to our, our own Ralph Stone, he's already been there to visit it. So, um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievably successful with the number of apartment buildings and condos, and they even have like a senior life center that's going up. I mean, uh, it took them a long time and maybe we could learn from that, you know, to get it, to get it moving. Uh, but there are about nine new projects that are working. There's restaurants and, and um, uh, grocery stores and a, a Trader Joe's and a, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you know, incredible what's there. Um, and it's, what I, what I love about it is it's next to the historically uh, black West Coconut Grove area. And then, um, and then the uh, a more affluent Carl Gables area. And it's all mm. just, you know, everybody, you know, mixed use, mixed income, so forth. I will say the one thing that I went in my reading that I felt was that they didn't pay enough, quite enough attention to affordable. There's um, a lot of market rate and there's some what they call workforce, but it still doesn't fit the bill of what we would consider, you know, affordable housing. So I think that with this, that's, there's some, you know, opportunity there. Um, but I, I, I just, you know, I feel that uh, we've been talking about that a long time. I know, you know, my colleague, Senator Geller, and, you know, about this transit orient, and we have not done really much with it yet. But when I see what they've done down there, I know what the opportunities are, 
And I just think that that's such a way for us. And they already are show, uh, showing that the developers, there are less parking places in each new development that goes up because people are not needing two cars. They're using one car for the family uh, because they're, they're on the, you know, they're on the, the rail. And uh, so it's just a, a lot of opportunity. And I just, um, you know, I just want us to move on it because we have the same, I believe we have the same opportunities here. Um, and maybe we can learn, as I said, from some of the things that maybe they didn't do quite as well, learn from other people. But um, I just see that as, uh, as really such a great opportunity for, for us. So, um, And, you know, everything else, I, I know I, you didn't, today you didn't mention uh, our transportation disadvantaged, but I think we still have challenges, obviously, there uh, that haven't been met um, and, and problems. But uh, I think we, you know, we keep looking forward to getting started as you said let's let's get moving and uh, see what we can't you know uh, what, what we can't do to increase particularly uh, you know the numbers of, of, of affordable housing and people who can can take advantage of living along a corridor like that thank you vice mayor I just want to echo something that you said because in Maryland um, in um, the city of Montgomery County um, there are restrictions put on the number of um, uh, or, or credits, I should say, given to developers when they use less parking. Um, and so what they have done, some of the um, high-rises in um, Bethesda, Maryland, have actually put out um, advertisements saying, if you do not bring a car here, we will give you additional credit on your rent. So it's an incentive mm -hmm. for people That's not great. to have parking spaces there. Yeah, great. Okay. And by the way, they have places to walk your dogs. It's a, it's a whole. It's like a whole village. It's a whole community. So I was just reading about all the different amenities, and it just you know, it's a, it's a village. It's a home. It's it's you know, it's like living in a community, not just thinking about living along, a, 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 a you know, a rail corridor. You good advice? Mm -hmm. Okay, Senator Geller. Hi, hi, Miss Hunter. Again, how are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> uh, I have a series of questions. First. Well, uh, I've not seen this map today with Southwest Broward, which is all my area, so um, I don't go anywhere east of 441. Um, question. Um, I, I see a, a yellow line, a green dotted line, a brown dotted line, all in Southwest Broward. Can you just tell me what kind of... Um, what kind of transit you are looking at putting in those areas. Okay, so... See, um, Southwest Broward, as so, well as the purple dotted line. Okay, so let me um, thank you for that question, Commissioner. You can have it back on our screens, please, yeah. Michael. I, I just put it back. Okay. Oh. Yeah, okay. On the dais, I need screens. Thank you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just okay. keep a note of that, Monica, if you were. Uh, okay, so, um, Commissioner, the, the pink line that is the light rail. The uh, blue lines, that's the bus rapid transit. And the dotted green. I don't green, see any blue line. Dark blue. Oh, in this down the center, yeah, that was yeah. in the old maps as well. Oh, okay, okay right. sorry. Um, okay. okay, so the new ones are going to be bus service, traditional bus service on fixed route, mm -hmm. and that's going to be on Flamingo Road, Douglas Road. Griffin Road and Palm Avenue. Okay, thank you. Um, now, you and I have spoken, and I'm 
confident we're still not in agreement. But <laughs> you know I'm a big advocate of transit-oriented development, and I think we can get a lot of houses there. But just I want to do a little math first. On Broward Boulevard currently, how many uh, there's six lanes of traffic, I believe, three in each direction. What is the traffic capacity per lane? Or if you want to tell me for each for the three lanes combined each way. Okay, Commissioner. So I don't have that number with me today. So as part of the next phase of the study, we will we'll get into what the capacity is on the lane and and really have an opportunity to address your concerns. I, and I, my concern is? I, your concern is that you're concerned about additional queuing as a result of dedicated traffic lanes. Well, I'm not sure if that's mm -hmm. what it is because mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the definition of queuing here, but my concern is that if, just for the sake of argument, if each lane, has, if eastbound, westbound have a capacity of 30,000 cars an hour. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's five. I have no idea what that number is. But whatever that capacity is, I'll say it's 30 just because that breaks down to 10,000 per, uh, per uh, hour. Excuse me, 10,000 per lane, and I'm not that good in math. So I can do those round numbers easily. If you're getting 10,000 per lane and you're going to end up closing a lane of traffic and going from three, three lanes to two lanes on Broward and therefore losing 10,000 cars per hour or day or week or whatever the capacity is, you'd better be replacing at least 10,000 in train. And if you're not replacing and uh, better be a substantial increase for the 12 years of construction we'll have, which is the number you've used. I, and if you're estimating, it'll be 12. I assume it'll be more than that. Um, but I remain committed that it doesn't help us to be adding train lines if you're going to be losing more rubber tire vehicle butts and seats than you're gaining butts and seats on the train. Can you comment, please? Sure. Um, and so the one of the tenets of good transit service and getting the conversion for people to use transit is that it has to be reliable and it has to move quickly. Um, so when other cities have put bus lanes in, not BRT, but bus lanes, what they found is that um, when they reduced the headways, that's the distance and time between uh, service, um, they were able to see an increase in ridership. So, um, and those bus lanes did have, are restricted to bus only. Um, in New York City, as example, they use both uh, local service as well as uh, express service in those bus lanes. So, um, what we, so initially there was a perception that, oh my goodness, if we take this lane, we're going to just mess all the rest of the traffic up. And in fact, that's not what happened. It ended up, people started wanting to have the bus lanes. Um, now how that worked there, um, which, is, which is interesting, is that we needed to have, they put on, they had ordinances that uh, required um, 
you couldn't drive in a bus lane. And they had enforcement of that. They actually put cameras on the front of the bus to capture anybody that would breach that. And then there was tickets provided. They also went to an honor system in terms of boarding, because that's something that also takes up time and causes um, delays um, if in, a, in a dedicated lane. And they had an honor system, which basically let people get on the bus um, and they had uh, plainclothes police officers get on the bus and then they would check periodically, but you would not have to pay to get on your bus. So um, I think to the extent that we implement this, and, and sorry, I, I sincerely mean it when I said we will have those numbers for you um, during the next phase, uh, that the, the key factor here is that if the bus or the, or the light rail goes at the same speed as the traffic we are not going to attract people. It's just not going to happen. So it has to be better. It has to be faster um, because we have to beat the cars to get the conversions to happen. I understand that. I repeat my statement that unless you are having more people on the train than you are losing traffic capacity, and you've said that you think it, you will have that, or you haven't actually said that because you haven't done the studies yet, but. You've estimated, I think it was one and a half million to three million on the on Broward Boulevard, is your total annual ridership. Um, those are your current projections. Uh, I have it here. Yeah, and that's um, unless you are, I don't know how many people today drive on Broward Boulevard. Um, I would need those numbers, but unless those numbers are at least if you don't if you're losing more than a million and a half people worth of transit and you're gaining your projection of one and a half million at, at the low number you haven't accomplished anything so okay next I have some other questions I've looked at um, by the way in terms of your um, you in here you say dedicated lane or um, or priority, signal priority. Fine with that. I just, you understand my concern here. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Broward Boulevard, uh, which where you're doing this is not really my district, but uh, nonetheless, it goes, you're talking about having the light rail from as uh, that appears to be is that US one. Where does the along like um, I'm trying to see. I have your maps here, but it's hard to read them. Uh, yes, it's so you would have a light rail that starts at the airport, then goes to the seaport and convention center, both of uh, which I fully support that part of it. Thank you. And then you're talking about connecting down seven putting apparently light rail down 17th street mm -hmm. and then light rail up us one to broward um would that require closing of a lane of lanes of traffic on those so yes but then when we go north on andrews and third street um that's where we would have the one-way pairs so um instead of those streets being um, two-way they would be one way so there'll be a a little more capacity going to the north and going to the south 
and then the lane would be dedicated for the light rail. Okay. Uh, are you talking about closing lane of traffic on 17th Street? N perhaps. Okay. Perhaps. Uh, and that's the next phase of the analysis. We'll try to figure that out, but um, perhaps that could be an outcome, but we don't know at this point. Okay. In most of your maps, they say that you know, exclusive transit lanes were feasible, exclusive transit lanes were feasible, exclusive transit lanes were feasible, and in many of these cases, I don't think they're feasible, but I'm open to discussion. Um, on the trains, it appears, I mean, the maps show that these are all turning at uh, 90 degree angles, which I know trains don't turn at 90 degree angles, unless they're going very, very slowly. Um, in some of these, for example, at Broward Boulevard, and again, I can't see the north-south. You're saying that's Andrews, not US-1? Andrews, okay. yeah. I don't know what is located at the intersection of Andrews and Broward. Um, let's see. Oh, it's us. Um, the, um, I just, whatever happens on a lot of these, it looks like you're making 45 degree turns, which trains don't do. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I'm going to have Arethia answer that, but there are turning radiuses that she'll, she'll talk about. Okay. The faster ones require bigger turning radius. Yes. And we will not be going super fast on the roads. Okay. Um, you know, this is. This won't be high-speed rail. It, we, it's right. too dangerous, to, you know, as you know, to have that, um, that in mixed traffic like this. So, uh, Aretha, you want to talk about some of the turning radiuses? Correct. And you, you, of course, the train will not do 90 degrees. We anticipate that most trains' turning radiuses are between 44 and 48 degrees. Okay. Assuming that's the case, each time you make a turn, are you going to have to wipe out a vast amount construction that already exists at the at these intersections the idea would be to make the turns within the right-of-way and not to intersect with any development beyond the curb so we would be that would be the case in a center run-in um, rail now if we're on the curb the the intent is the same to not impact buildings that's um, within the right-of-way but we need to study that further as we develop, um, and that will, that those studies will orient where the tracks go and where we, we, we where, how and where we, we make those turns. Okay. I happen to be familiar with Andrews Avenue because if we had windows, we could see it. it we're located on Andrews Avenue right here. And the right of way that you see, that you're talking about, is this big. I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but I don't know where, again, haven't seen detailed plans yeah. that I'm interested in, but I don't know how you make the turns that you're talking about making on where you say you'll do it in the right-of-way, where to speak of the right-of-way is the width of a sidewalk or the lanes of traffic that are already there. So, yeah, so yeah. The, the, the beauty of a light rail vehicle is it does have a tighter turning radius, kind of similar, not quite as tight as a car mm -hmm. and not quite as tight as a bus. But um, what we can do is we can get some video that might help demonstrate 
how those curves are I'd made like to see that. Um, yes. with uh, light rail. Okay. Um, and if the, I might, um, Senator, yes, of course. And, and thank you, uh, Corey. So part of the us attempting to show um, this map is not that it's absolutely set in stone um, and certainly, you know, the right degree angles and all of that, but it is really for um, illustrative purposes so that you get an, a sense of what will be studied. This is the intent and the proposal, but everything will be backed by uh, data and the science and, and the engineering reports that will um, be forthcoming. So okay. we don't want you to necessarily, you know, hang your hat on, you know, making a right turn on Andrews and, and Broward, but, but just to understand this is exactly where we're looking to make okay. this. Well, again, these are on a scale where, for example, I couldn't tell whether it was Andrews or US-1, because if you put the thickness of the lines, these the, the, the lines may only be this big on paper, but they'd be three miles wide and, you know, okay. Um, the, let's, I want to get back to Broward Boulevard, uh, but some of the others. Broward Boulevard, I know, has no right-of-way left. Uh, you have little sidewalks and then you have streets. You're talking about doing construction. I think it said that estimated completion was 2035, I think. Yeah, 2035. And no construction project in the history of America has come in on time. That's a slight exaggeration, but you know what I mean. I believe that if you close, if you're, have, all right, right now there's six lanes of traffic and they've eliminated most of the grass when they six-laned it. So it's, it's lane of traffic, sidewalk, street, uh, business. If you, at a minimum, if you're talking about closing a lane of, of traffic to put in the rail or the exclusive bus. By the way, in areas that you're talking about having exclusive rail and bus, I assume that they would be in the same lane? Yeah, so at no time will we have that kind of overlap other than if it's a fixed route service. So the map does show on Sunrise and Commercial kind of that overlap, but the intent is yeah, BRT right. first, then light rail in okay. that case, yeah. In which case, if you, so if you have a, a lane for BRT, you're, you would add the rail in that same lane. In the lane. same lane, Okay, yes, I thought so. Mm -hmm. um, I am concerned that during the construction, you're probably going to need a second lane where your cranes and bulldozers and other stuff is going to be, because there is no median there. So for 10 or 12 years, you will be converting Broward Boulevard to one lane, and I'm talking about the area primarily west of 90, between 95 and 441. And if you do that, you're going to put, I think you'll put every business there out of business and put the residents there in untold misery if, they're, if, if it's reduced to one lane while you're doing the actual construction. So there's, there's construction practices, and we will be leaning into all the best practices there to make sure that we do not, that we minimize the inconvenience to businesses. It, you know, it's a tenement of this this uh, project to promote economic development and make it happen, not make businesses go out of business. Um, that's not something that we we want to do. And so other lo other cities that have undertaken projects like this have had programs in place to support businesses during construction. Um, they've had very deliberate construction plans that minimize um, 
the number of lanes that they can take and the duration that they can take them and the time of day that they can work. Um, so we, we have to embrace that. Um, with uh, the bus rapid transit projects, those are not heavy and in intensive construction, right? That's not heavy. Um, light rail, it's a little heavier, yeah. Rail. So, um, but, you know, Commissioner Geller, it's very important um, for us to, to not do anything in this project that hurts people. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I hope we're in agreement. On yeah, that. we want we want it to be a betterment and not an impediment or a problem for businesses. So we have to take care of them um, throughout the process. Okay. Uh, Ms. Mayor, I, I have like four more pages of questions, but I'm only going to ask three or four, not three or four pages. So I'm we, we so appreciate you for that, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the um, you said that you're meeting with the cities or contacting the cities. Who are you contacting? And the reason I'm asking is, are you contacting the transit directors or contacting the elected officials? Because I've discussed this with some of the elected officials in some of the cities who say that they don't know anything about it. So am I correct that you're contacting the transit people in the cities but so not at the, the elected? Yes, yeah, so at the, um, so we're contacting both, right? So um, this evening, we're at Denia Beach at their commission meeting. Um, I think we're at Sunrise and, and Fort Lauderdale. Where? Fort Lauderdale Hills. Wait. North Lauderdale, thank you. We've already been to Fort Lauderdale. So um, when, we, when that chart that um, Arethia put up there, that 100% was staff. So we've, we've connected with the city or the municipality management staff. Um, and some of the cities have said, hey, we don't want you to go see the electeds. We, we're good. We're good just you meeting with us. You should ask the electeds their okay. opinion on that. They will not be happy. They're not happy because I've spoken with some of them and said, oh, but this is what, well, I don't know anything about that. I don't like that. The staff isn't going to be voting on anything. You Understood. really need to let the elected officials know what's going on. I'm not saying you shouldn't notify the staff. I'm saying you shouldn't only notify right. the staff. Understood, Commissioner. And we have, um, for other than the cities that I just mentioned to you that we didn't, um, the other cities that you know we have been we have meetings scheduled uh, upcoming with many of the cities as well. When we were at the MPO, I mean, we got a really good cross section of um, elected officials at that meeting um, and got their input as well. So. Um, we will work harder um, to address that, Commissioner. Okay, I have two last comments quickly. Number one, when you talk about the 10 to 15 minute walk, I think you may be using national averages. I think that here in an area that is what climate is uh, tropical rainforest or tropical monsoon, which honest are the climate in Broward County. <laughs> Um, that that uh, amount of walkability may be less because of both rain and 180% humidity uh, plus 11 months of summer. And the last comment is you were talking about Gen Z not using cars and your, I think, is it Gen Z, the current one? Yeah. Okay, Gen Z. Um, and you're correct, a lot of them don't, but it's not because a lot of them are taking trains, although some are. 
Of course, they're all taking Uber. Yeah. And they Uber is another four-tire, rubber, four-wheel rubber tire vehicle. So if <clears throat> just because they don't own cars doesn't mean they're not driving in cars. They may not need parking, but they're still driving in cars. So please remember that as you go again in conclusion. If you can add, if there's places where you can add uh, light rail without closing lanes of traffic, great, supportive. I'm supportive of your airport seaport, uh, airport seaport convention center connector. My concerns, um, uh, bus rapid transit, great. More bus lines, great. My concern is closing lanes of traffic. I've raised that concern about closing lanes of traffic to add bike paths. I'm raising that same concern about closing lanes of traffic for light rail because as far as I have been able to see for the foreseeable next number of decades, the majority of people, particularly in South Florida car culture, are going to be transported not in trains, but in rubber tire vehicles, unless they replace that with metal tire or whatever, which include buses, if they're nicer ones than what we're doing now. I think you, we can get that. My concern is closing lanes of traffic. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Understood, Mayor. Understood, sir. Thank you. We're going to go to Commissioner McKenzie, followed by Commissioner Dean. I won't be as detailed as my, my good friend who shares um, the western portion of, of Broward. But again, um, I'm going to keep saying the same thing. I think the Vice Mayor, Senator Nan Rich, hit it on the head when she complimented Miami-Dade. Well, some 30-plus years ago, Miami-Dade did something. They didn't kick. They didn't punt. They put a rail in before all the development came, so it gave them opportunity 30-some-plus years later to connect to something. We have a rail up there we, we all talk about. Again, it's north and south. We figured that one out because we're going to the heat games, we're going to courthouses. We figured that out. What we haven't figured out, based on what I can see, is where the ridership really goes. The people that really take public transportation. We're adding more buses, we're getting more energy efficient buses. Uh, the buses are going faster. Uh, we're trying to program the lights to get the buses and the traffic through. We're really catering to vehicles. And if we're not serious about transportation, then to me, this whole workshop is um, a moot point. We're going to have to go east and west. Even my good friend never spoke about west of 441. He spoke about impacting the businesses between 441 East to downtown, but if you ride that corridor right now, and I've been working very diligently as a city commissioner to redevelop, a lot of those businesses have been out of businesses for, for, for years. They're coming back with the Walmart Plaza and some of the creative things we did um, uh, at the city, but they're really <laughs> mom and pop businesses um, that struggle, that need the ridership people to get to and from and off and on uh, whatever vehicle we choose, whether it's light rail. So 
we're going to have to make tough decisions, and our decisions can't be in the hands of the electeds. We're Broward County. If we don't take the bull by the horns and do it, I sat with people before that destroyed a rail system, fully funded, ready to go. Um, the first commission, we were all for it. We helped plan it. We were going to deliver it. A couple months before delivering, killed on arrival. Electeds. Electics, because we're taking the temperature of the residents in, to make sure that we remain in these seats. I don't care if I'm put back in this seat. If I'm doing the right thing, I will get back in this seat. And as a county commissioner, um, it is my charge to deal with transportation and to try to create a real mass transit system. So I think the residents are the ones that count more than the electeds. If we get to the residents, they, they speak about what they want. Some areas just won't do it, period. They don't want it in their backyards. And they're not walking 15 minutes in plantation to do a bus stop. They're driving to wherever they're going. I just use plantation as an example. I have a tough lift. Even when uh, uh, District 9 commercial before, the, 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 the Lauder Hill Mall piece, you know, was important uh, uh, to that demographic or that geographical location because of the riderships. I never would agree to something that big in the Lauder Hill Mall parking lot. I would put it at the western part of um, Broward Boulevard, but he was willing to accept it, work on it, and deliver something that we can connect to. Now, what is your definition of a light rail? Is it a train with rubber tires or is it a rail on the street? Rail and rail, steel and steel. Okay. Um, the next question would be this one-way pair, which I never agreed to, never voted on, and still don't agree to a one-way pair, especially downtown Fort Lauderdale. But you just spoke about that, am I correct? Yes. Where is that going to go? So that's on um, Third and Andrews. So those would be the one-way pairs. And I would like to hear from everybody on this day is, do you think that's going to work? I mean, if we're, if we're still catering to vehicles and pedestrians on a, one of our systems, they're going to take that route, especially if it's, a, if it's one of our BRTs, to go to Publix, drop off on in front of Publix, and then have to go get back on the return route is Web Street. You're going to come down? One way and go back which way? Name those two. So it's up on Andrews. Andrews. Right? I know what it is. I was a part of the discussion. Southeast third. So we're going to go up Andrews, loop, and come back down third, right? Think no, about the right. Well, you, the, it would go up Andrews and then we're going west and out to, um, out to the mall, Sawgrass Mall. And on the return trip, you would come down on Third Street. So if I go to Publix. How do I get back? You'd have to walk to the other block and correct. That's my yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the person with the groceries that doesn't own an automobile. This is the person we're trying to or trying to encourage me to get out of a car and, 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 and do this different type of transportation um, um, experience. If it's not convenient, how many more people can we convince to do it? I'm totally against the one-way pair. Everything else that we do, I'm, 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 a, 
I'm, a, I'm in agreement with doing something. Because 30 years from now, we're going to need something to connect to. And I think uh, Commissioner Furr uh, and what you've done with your connector is great, but you had something to work with, but you had to stop at the river. I know you would have gone through that river if it wasn't for the electeds or the perception. But I sat on the other side, and we talked about one thing, getting there. And as soon as we got there, we changed it. We need to do something with the river. We need to be, I think, the leaders in how we do this. Um, and I don't think we can worry about the electors. If, if we get a temperature of what's going on, we move forward and try to put something in place. I'm in agreement in my district to do something different. Um, and I've heard this from, for so long about a, a rail system. I remember one time we were recruiting or trying to bring in one of the major sports teams before the Miami Heat came right at Broward Interstate 95. Then we ended up with a, the building for supervisor of elections, um, which never came through. It ended up being Destroyer or, or Phoenix College, what have you. But what are we going to do to do this? Um, we don't have a major sports team downtown, so who's, who's going to, what are we coming downtown for? other than to work, and we come to the uh, destinations, and you have elected saying we want to close things at 10 o'clock, we don't want noise. I mean, we, everything we try to create, the electeds try to shut down. We created an entertainment district, and the minute you go past a certain volume, the electeds have a problem with it. I just think, and I know I'm repeating myself, that we have to do something. Is this it? I think this is it. But are we going to stick our heads in the sand? Or are we going to send people to their destinations? Domestic is going east, and they're going west to do other domestic things. It may not be a hotel, but it may be something at my home or your home. They are the ones that are utilizing these systems. They need access to and from, and we can't worry about the fear if somebody gets off of my neighborhood is not supposed to be there. And I'm in support of doing something deeper and tough for whatever generation is coming next. I have lost the concept of who's next, X, E, Y, P, <laughs> but they're coming. My own kids drive vehicles, but when they get to their destinations, they pull out their skateboards. I'm talking about 21-year-old, 32-year-old kids. They want to come downtown and skate, but they drive these cars downtown to do that. They don't skateboard from my house to downtown. They just take their vehicles and they go there. The Uber thing, I mean, you hit it right on the head. They're getting in Ubers, but they're going to the destinations, they're getting out, and they're enjoying the fun. That's the easiest way to move around. But Uber, in my opinion, is getting so expensive. How do we do this? How do we do it? And are we serious to do it? Because I read this morning or a tweet or something that we already got resistance from Fort Lauderdale about a light rail. I've been there before. If we want to do a light rail, I'm all in. If we want to do, and we know we want to do it at the airport, no one's going to disagree with that. But how do we continue the trip? How do we get the tourists to enjoy this 
paradise if we're going to limit their access to getting on and off some type of transportation system, public, that works. I don't want to see any more buses. But you want it to work. Oh. I want it to work. I want you to be able to come from your, your destination and go east to west, not to these courthouses on the federal route that you guys did with Brightline. I mean, that worked. I'm just joking. I'm serious. We can't be afraid, uh, Senator Geller. We have to make the tough decisions, and you've made them all of your political uh, career. Now is the time for us to do something different, and we're going to spend these hours. I don't want it to be in vain. I want to embrace it, move it forward. Someone's going to vote it down, vote it down from another city. But this day is I want us to move forward with something concrete. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Dean, followed by Commissioner Ford. So I had my briefing initially on, on the Primo plan, and then I had another crack at this on the MPO when you went to present the MPO, and I took in all the comments. Uh, and, and, and I see why you put that last slide uh, up on your thing that has all, and Commissioner Furr had mentioned it at the MPO, <clears throat> that the Primo plan that we're going to talk about here is, is one part of multiple plans that come together. So there were people on the MPO and said, hey, there's not a bus that goes down this street. Well, yeah, there is, but it just wasn't really part of the Primo portion of it. <laughs> but when you overlay everything in there, it, it was there. My feeling on this, and I'm going to vote to support this in June when this comes to us, because I think that this Primo plan is a good plan. I think there can be tweaks made on this, and I think there will be tweaks made on this. But I think if we don't get something out of the box pretty soon, as a county, we should probably say let's give the penny sales tax back to people. Because it's time that we start delivering on what we're promising to the people. I take Tri-Rail all the time. I take Brightline all the time. I still have a car. I take those things. If I'm going a farther distance, a lot of times I'll take tri-rail and then jump in an Uber from when I'm there because it's just an easier way to travel, Brightline, or, or, or those type of things. I think that the Primo plan, I think it's important for us to get it off of this dais, get it out into the streets. I'm convinced that 31 municipalities will have problems with some of this, maybe even Lazy Lakes, maybe someone, one of the hey, hey, people hey. there. Because there's, I've sat on the MPO long enough to see this. Every time there's an issue, I mean, the tr in Miami-Dade, there's a train or light rail or whatever you call it that comes up University Drive and stops at University in Broward and doesn't come in here. Because none of the cities want anything to go through you know, their particular city. We have to get out of that mindset. We just voted on it today in our public hearing, the fact that on transportation type issues, it needs to be done regionally. And, and, and we, may, we need to make sure that on a regional basis, if something's of regional importance with transportation, that we can get it done so that people can get, get out of cars. So I'm very impressed with you as a transportation director in the few months that you've been here. I think you've, uh, You've been very uh, excited and, and have seen the potential that we have in Broward because we have that penny sales tax. In my opinion, it's time to put it to work. And by doing that, I also, this is really to county administration and to our 
Penny Surtax people, whatever, I forget what they're called again. The MAP, MAP Broward people. We need to start gearing up now in the county and the MAP people with the personnel, the consultants. Let these engineers start engineering. Let these architects start architecting. And let's get where we need to be so that we can get something and show the public that we're doing this. Miami-Dade started many years ago. Miami-Dade is not 50. They had their penny. Right. They had their penny enacted many years ago. You don't need a car to live in Miami-Dade. You still pretty much need a car to live in, in, in most parts of Broward County. There should be a better system in Broward. We're 30, 40, maybe 40 years behind. If we don't start soon, we're going to be 100 years behind. And if we don't start soon, we probably should throw in the towel and say we're not going to do it. I'll be voting for this on the 13th, and I thank you for the plan. Thank, thank you. you. Commissioner Furr? Commissioner. Oh, yes, <laughs> Commissioner Furr? Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm excited. I've been wanting to see this for a long, long time. When I was first elected in Hollywood in 2000, in 2000, one of the first things we started looking at was a commuter line up and down the FEC. So for 20 years, we've been looking at how does this, how does this start to happen? When we passed the penny sales tax, all of a sudden, it, it, you know, it looked like some possibility. Well, I know you presented at the MPO a couple weeks ago. And what I was glad to see was that we needed this from a county level because we've been looking at it at the MPO things have been looked at very parochially it is you know when we go in there there's a few of us that go and it's you know it is city centric and I understand that and you know everybody's gonna want their city but part of that was because there wasn't a plan that everybody could adopt and say this is how we get from here to there some were wanting a lot of people were wanting to see that big picture now we have the big picture and that's what it, it has been sorely needed, and that's what this is. Um, so I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to support this. Um, like I do think the decisions need to be um, made. These are hard decisions. But I was on an electric town hall at the MPO the other day. We had like 4,000 people on the thing, and one of the the woman that was on there was from Europe. Uh, moving on. And she said one of the most important things is to be willing to make those decisions, not to have paralysis, but to, to, to go forward on this and to be, and to be willing to do it. Um, a couple of things in particular. Um, on the light rail, I'm glad to see the extension because people need to know that that's what, that's what the big picture is. We weren't stopping. We're not planning on stopping at that river. We're planning on going right under, over, whatever. Um, and I think there's some, there are some other possibilities, I, we don't need to go into it now, that we don't even have to wait about that. Because there is capacity now to, without a bridge, without a tunnel, to do that. And we may want to look at that. It may not be full scale, but it could get us there now. So I want us to, you know, I want us to, to be considering that. If we start looking at autonomous, I think we should be looking out west, and here's why. Uh, the guy from the uh, FDOT was on there. He said, if you put an autonomous on like I-95, those vehicles see all the old lines, and you know all those things. And they said, you don't want autonomous. But on the, all the roads out west, where they're all new roads, it will work. It would work pretty good. 
That's what that was from the experts. So we may want to start thinking autonomous more out west, you know, shuttles, things like that. If we're going to do a uh, pilot projects, those are brand new roads, you know, and those are the ones that would it would make most sense on. Um, I had I had the pleasure of having being on that town hall with uh, Scott Bruner, and he was talking about the adaptive signal technology that's coming on. What? And I I just have to tell, tell you, we, you've got somebody great and Scott on there, and he was talking about the whole the whole difference between the kind of technology we have now and what that means. That's the kind of stuff that we want to let everybody know about. And and I know uh, I, I I I want to take a little bit of issue with what Commissioner Udine said, in that I think we we've already been doing a lot of stuff with the Surtax. Every city has new shuttles. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff's been going on. So I don't want to give the impression that a lot hadn't been going on. A lot has been going on, but this is where it really starts to go. Um, with the light rail, with creating a spine here, this, the the commuter rail is. I look at that as the north, the north and south spine, and we. Should, I think this for the most part correlates with where all those stations will be going east west. I'm not seeing where that it doesn't. Every one of the lines that I'm seeing correlates with the where a proposed station is, correct? So what we're trying to do, and this is the second phase of this, Commissioner, is to do that integration, to, to figure those, those connections out. But the intent is that we have the opportunity to transfer from premium to premium as much as possible. Yeah, because nobody wants to get, go flying up there somewhere on a train, get there like that, and then go east-west like a snail. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. They want Understood. to feel like it's seamless. And so wherever those stations are, um, there needs to be rapid whatever it is going east-west. Some west. kind of complementary premium yeah. service. And, yeah. the one, and the, the one thing that I would have liked to have seen in here, and I know, and I know Tim has, has a very good argument against it, <laughs> and I heard, I heard his argument, is, is the one place where you could go really fast east-west is up 595. And that's that's like fast or north south, fast down 595. You go as fast as you want east. And Tim will say, well, there's no economic development to be had there. I'm I'm telling you, the people that are on the on the train don't care or when they're on the train. They don't care about that. But if there's any way of looking at that, because that's how you, that is a perfect division between the county, you know, allowing for. Yeah, and there's an easement for it, just so everybody knows. There's easement for this. Um, it is a one place where, I, you know, Tim, I might disagree with you on that one. Part. Not disagree, it's just a different um, way of looking at it. Because I think I, I really appreciate your thought on this. With you, and you've done it. You've done it in Portland and you've done it other places. So you know it works with regard to economic development. I'm just saying maybe at some point places, maybe you don't. You don't worry about that. That doesn't have to be the uh, the absolute one, because if you can get people going quickly out west, and then you have other, you've got you've got your university north south. You've got your you've got a couple other ways to get there. Then you're starting to build a real grid. You're starting to build something that could you know everybody can say oh, I can do this. Yeah, and that model, sir, is actually in existence in, in other places around the country. Oh, yeah. And in Northern Virginia, as example, the Silver Line, right. which just opened in um, December of 2020, um, November, sorry, of 2022, just in time 
for Thanksgiving holiday because it connected downtown DC with the um, the airport, yeah. uh, Dulles International Airport. It was a huge deal. Um, what happened there, interestingly enough, so it is it, it is a um, it is a right of way in the middle of a toll road. Right. Um, both, it's, I think there's four lanes one way, four lanes the other way. There are these big bridges that connect from the, the street level over the highway um, into the center lane, which is where the, um, the elevated structure is. And um, what happened there is that, you know, there was nothing between, you know, I guess I would say Arlington West yeah. until the Silver Line came in and then these micro cities started coming up. Right. Um, and, and so it does happen. Oh no! I, I, and I, I, and you're I, so right. Like it, but it is possible to have that kind of um, uh, uh, line that would go in the uh, in a turnpike or in a toll road situation right. in that right of way. And my understanding was that was how it was constructed. Well, at, it, I mean, the, the express lanes have kind of taken taken that middle part. But there is there is, to my understanding, easement there. To be able to do it, I mean, when I go on those express lanes, I don't know if anybody else has this, but the the express lanes on 595. When I get go on there, nobody's on there on that part. I mean, when I'm on it, it's like I know, but it's like wow, you could have an incredible system right there. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can just weave around all you want on it, but nobody's there. Um, the other part is in, when we start thinking of this as being regional, and I'm I'm the representative on Ceftec. There is a whole ba another batch of funds available on a federal level that we can take that we can parlay, so to speak. If we're just doing it Broward centric, we we are isolating, or we are limiting ourselves to what funds are available. We when we when we expand it into Palm and and Miami Dade, though there's a lot more money there, and so I want us to be thinking that way when we're doing that. Second, another one, when we're looking at MyRide, which is the, our app, we have an app for MyRide and it's for buses. But what it should be is for everything. When you, when you go on MyRide, you should see where I catch a bus, where can I get a bicycle, where can I, where can I get a train. It should be able to give me every single option and get me to wherever I want to go. And that's what we need to build. Because that's, for, for Gen Z, that's what they're looking at. And that's what they have in Europe and they have it in a lot of other places. I'm on this, I was just on this a minute ago. It's just buses. It is just buses. It's just buses. And you wanna know, how do I get, you know, if I get dropped off, can I, you know, if I get dropped off from Tri-Rail, what's my, what's my options? If I wanted to grab a bike, which, is, which a lot of times, if I'm only driving, riding a bike for Couple blocks, okay, I'll, I'll ride a bike. But where are they all over the place? And I'll, where are all those things? So that needs to be a part of this. Not to mention the interoperability of all three systems between the three counties. That has got to be included in this, where you are, when you get on a bus, you don't have to go transferring for three different systems. And I know we're working on that, and I know we've been working on it. Why we're not there, I have no idea, but I, I know. Miami-Dade wanted to do their own system. But let's keep pushing as hard as we can so that there's one system. So there's no transfer tickets, no nothing, you're there. And that's gonna be, I'm sure it would be a requirement 
from the feds for for monies, you know, probably for the interoper interoperability. The last thing you keep talking about data, and I know through the MPO, we had we had signed off on a data agreement, and I'm I, I'm assuming we're using this. Do you remember this, Commissioner? And it was supposed to be able to take into consideration all the cell phones of everybody that's using it, where we're getting, you know, where people are driving, all these kind of things. And, and, the, and those, those people that are, those systems right now, like Circuit, that are, it's in Hollywood, I think it's in Fort Lauderdale, they know exactly where they're picking people up. Because they're like, for those who don't know, Circuit's like a lift. You can call them, they'll come pick you up. And so they know exactly where people are being picked up. That's the data you want. Because that's where people, if you're going to put a bus, that's where a bus would go. So this is the first time I'm hearing about that, Commissioner. Okay, all right. Um, but we will certainly look into it for sure. It, well, and, and, the, and we've already paid for it. It's all paid for. Yeah. So it, it's the data that is available to all of us. Yeah, and Greg has been very gracious to offer us access to the studies and the resources that they have so yep. we can tap into that definitely through our COA yep. um, we can use that venue to that vehicle to uh, do that analysis also okay and when when we're talking about like say Broward Boulevard there are places where and I don't know if you're not really showing this but I'm, I'm assuming there's gonna be places where it needs to be elevated <laughs> because they just redid Broward Boulevard and, and the only place you got is down the median and okay, so you do an elevated down the median. But we're not seeing that. And then you don't have to take a lane. Don't take a lane. Don't take a lane. <laughs> so, you know. All right. <laughs> but, but, but we will have a bicycle lane for you on that, on that <laughs> elevated right. thing. Ha! Ha! Um, but that, you know, I think that should be, you know, I would love to see the cost comparisons on that. Because I imagine when you're digging up a road, that's, you know, you're, you're breaking into about 10 different systems, whether it's sewer and all this different stuff. Yeah. And if you're elevating, maybe it's just boom. I don't know. I have no idea. But I would like to know and see how, see what the difference in cost comparisons on that stuff is. Absolutely. Um, and there's places where when you're talking to, you know, electives, they, they don't want to hear, they're probably going to, they're going to be, you know, reflecting somewhat of what Commissioner Geller said. And they, if they know that there's possibility elevated, I think that's, that's true. The one thing I am also not seeing here is we have a huge student population from the universities, and I'm thinking out by Davey out that way. And those are, those are people that would be using this a lot, I would think. Downtown, too. And downtown. Well, back and forth to downtown, yeah. so because they, they use both. Those, those, everybody from Broward, FAU, FIU, they're going back and forth to both campuses. So that, I, I know that that's not the first one on the list, but somewhere uh, that should be reflected because that's an, uh, that's a, an obvious connection that, that's not reflected on here that I think we move on. And maybe there's a bus. You know, maybe there is a bus that already does that, and I don't know about it. Um, and I'll just say one more, just one more last, last word. Last word. Last word. I do think that the, uh, that woman that was from Europe that was talking about time to make a decision, she, you know, she said, don't be afraid of it. And, and, you know, and it was really good. And I don't think we should be afraid of it. 
Um, and let's do it. All right, thank so you. Looking forward to it. Commissioner Rogers thank is you. up now. Commissioner. Thank you, Mayor, and thank you, colleagues. There's a, not a lot left to be said. I could say I agree with that. that this is the plan. We just have to make sure that everyone is aware of the plan. All right, so that's what we're supposed to do. All right, whether or not you're going to get beat up or lose an election, you have to be representing for the future. So most of us are not afraid. Don't believe that. All right. I would also say, all right, we've been listening and we've been talking, but when we advance that additional penny sales tax, this is what we told the people we wanted to do, improve transportation here in Broward County. And they bought it and gave us the resources. Now that we have a plan, we need to tell them and don't wait for too long to, until everybody else already start telling them what they think the plan is that should come from us. And if we're not reaching out to the communities, we're going to have problems. Whether or not we use our legislative powers to circumvent the voters, that's okay. We take the beating for that also. But that is what we're supposed to do. We know we hear the numbers. We see the vision. We talk to the community and tell them we're getting you out of your car. And it will be clean. It will be faster. It will be you will be able to connect from um, transit, meaning trains to planes to roadway. When I came to Florida, I was in shock because I'm out of New York. I was running for a train or a bus to connect and get to where I needed to go. It wasn't just a disconnect. I heard my colleague brought us to a point wherein after I go shopping, I can't come back the same way somehow this one-way thing never heard of it don't believe we would put that into the system so we really need to know where we're leaving people when they really need to get back home and you hear me speak to that i don't care if it's community bus or community show <coughs> we speak to the cities um might have objections the cities have 10 percent broad county have 90 percent of those dollars you have 90% because you have the bigger lift, the higher lift, the heavy lift, whatever you want to say. So I'm very much impressed with this document, learning and hearing from my colleagues as to the different challenges <coughs> in different areas. Because we ride the roadways. I drive up Pine Island, and I watch this light green, and there's <laughs> nothing telling me it's going to go to yellow or red. It just went from green to red. And I said, Lord, one day someone will see what I'm seeing. There should be a yellow amber before you turn to that oh, red. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> don't watch. Don't do it in Tamarack. You get a ticket. <laughs> okay. So I'm just, I, I just want to add to the conversation that the educational Facilities must be included in this. Our kids need to, if you want to get them out of their cars, you have to get them from point A to point B. And they're not just using one campus for everything. They're going all over, both places. Okay, the, see, overlay, surtax, technical support. The charrette that you do, how you explain what we're doing, how long will it take, how long I'm going to be inconvenienced. We have to be upfront and truthful so they know what we're doing. And sometimes you have to <coughs> remind 
or communities, and that's where your technology works and your partnership with the cities, if they are in, yes. they have to agree, they're in agreement, it's for us to also remind folks. We're coming in six months. We're coming, instead of just showing up, you talk to a different group of people three years ago, don't expect those that are moving into the community to know what you have planned. They just see you at their front doors. So those are the complaints that I'm hearing, that things just happen in the community and they don't know, no, it did not just happen. It was discussed three years ago. So we have to be able to keep that communi communication line open and just know that people move around from areas to areas and that is important to them. Um, there was one thing I wanted, I was hoping to see when we talk about our transit oriented development in district or corridors, if the, it's not new. So sometimes having a nice video, just like we have a nice video when you introduce your website, just show what it one is today. Let us see real people moving instead of these animated stuff that really is <laughs> not telling the real deal. All right, so let's show some real pictures of what this vision is, what this plan is. And I'll close. I have nothing else to say because it was said by seven of my colleagues and they touched on the real deal. They've been having this discussion. Mm. We just know we <clears throat> voted for this surtax. We gave you some of the money. I fully agree that we need to make it connect so you can attract the state and federal dollars. Can't do this just on our local taxpayers or our visitors because they're not the only ones paying the bills. But please do ever whatever we can to move these projects as quickly as possible. And of course, I know you're taking care of, if you're gonna close a road or the sidewalks or something, people need to know in advance. All right, so let's get it moving. Take the plan on the road, but just be truthful and always go back right before you start the project so folks know it's coming, especially those that are new to our areas. But it's good. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, you're Commissioner. Welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Bogan, for 30 seconds, he says. <laughs> what? And then I'll wind up. I, I, just want, I, 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 got the, I got the watch. I just want to reiterate what Commissioner Udeen said. I think you've done a great job, and so good that you're here. And the last thing is, just remember, <clears throat> out of all the commissioners, which one of your commissioners carries your metro, your metro card. I just oh. want to make sure you remember that. Thank you. This is the Washington, D.C. metro, where she's from, metro card, Our in their wallet. Back. All right. Where would you borrow that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Thank you, Commissioner. <laughs> he borrowed it from somebody. No, no, I use it. So as we bring us into a landing, um, landing? just a couple of comments I have. Uh, number one, I, I, first of all, this is a healthy discussion, and I appreciate, Corey, the individual beats and now, of course, our workshop and hopefully on the 13th. If you don't have some unanswered questions, please, before that, commissioners, please get with Corey and her team to get those last-minute questions answered. Um, don't want to look in the rearview mirror. I heard about so-and-so did this, so-and-so that. You know, we learn from, from others, uh, but let's continue now to move it forward at the end <clears> of the day. And um, I would hope that we would not get into the board of the micromanagement, I think, Obviously, yeah. you've heard the you've heard the, you've heard the the experts speak of you as our as our director. But I see a lot of professionals of the audience listening to this. Let's let them do our work. I don't I don't want to get into you know how you know large that one lane can be. 
personally, I don't. I don't want. That's not my business. That's not what I want to do. And I hope this board doesn't get bogged down into micromanaging this whole system because it would just Agreed. bog it down even, even more. I think we do need to, this board needs to look in the very near future uh, to get the LPA done uh, with getting over under the river, however we're going to get there. I think it's most important. So hopefully once this White House group study is done, which I understand is in June, um, we can uh, get that back on board because I think it's, a, it's imperative that we move this forward so we can have that link. You know, we're here, we're here to the, you know, obviously on the south end, we need to get to the north end. And we talk about the TODs, we talk about planning, you know, and I want to give our municipalities credit, uh, specifically Oakland Park, where they, of course, are designated for a station, but they've already already begun the planning of building a new city hall, building affordable housing, yep. building retail. You have these municipalities that have the vision. Pompano Beach is doing the same thing. Deerfield's getting ready to do the same thing. So let's give them credit. Uh, but we have to deliver the product to them in order to do that. So let's not waste any more time on that. I do believe education is important. I see Cheryl Dickey out there who is a huge community liaison when it comes to dealing with the residents. I think it's very, very important as Commissioner McKenzie talked about, the electors are great and that's what we're here to do. But we also want to make sure our residents are educated enough so they understand what we want to do and so they don't get scared. People tend to get scared when they don't exactly know what's happening. So we want to make sure we get the right messaging out. And it needs to be a universal message. It can't be one for Oakland Park and one for Weston. It has to be a universal message on what we're trying to accomplish here. So let's let's keep that in mind. So again, no negativism, positivism is what we were looking here for. Oh. Congratulate the entire team. But <clears throat> everybody you, you hear the, the urgency factor in everybody's voice that it's now. And so let's let's get it moving and thank you for your leadership. Thank you, All sir. Right. That concludes our workshop right now. So how the process is gonna work now is we're gonna come back and reconvene our meeting and we're going to as Commissioner Bogan he's, now has he's missing again. again as Houdini. He's missing so we're gonna um, go ahead and um, <laughs> move to Commissioner uh, Bogan if you can hear me. <laughs> but just, but I just, move to postpone it. No. <laughs> just, just, just as as formalities wise, we're going to go to 68. Then we're going to come back briefly on non-agenda issues. Briefly on non-agenda issues, and then we're going to adjourn and move to our closed session, our shade meeting. Okay, that's how the process will work. So we're back on <clears throat> item number 68 uh, as we're calling that back. Mayor, to I may have order. a resolution to you know. So if, Commissioner Bogan, you have the floor. Yeah, Thank but you. I waited to, 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 to go on record. He's yes. going to come back here and, and just, just push over. No, no, like no. That? I, I, before I do my resolution, you interrupted. Before I do my resolution, I certainly want to hear from my distinguished colleague over here. So please. We, st we still no, have Commissioner no, no, McKenzie, no, no, Commissioner no, no, Rogers, the Vice Mayor on this one. No, come on. No, All right, hold on, hold on. Having? Shh. Okay, let's bring you back to order. So uh, Commissioner McKenzie's online, then Commissioner Rogers, she was in Vice Mayor at this point. That's why I had in queue. So go ahead, Commissioner. I just have three questions. Um, I don't particularly. Uh, care for the gentleman that sits to my right, but um, respectfully, um, <laughs> uh, the current testing that is done, and you refer to the vial of blood, uh, most people go to the doctor and they'll say, I want this test, that test. I go to the doctor, I want all the tests. I want everything that annual, that's done annually. So the current testing that we do now, it, it, do we just test for one or two things in particular, say that the water is drinkable? 
or are we doing some type of testing that could pick this up right now? That's the professionals, uh, Mr. So, Piero. So I will I will just hit on a very no um, large swath of that um, response, and then I'll ask Alan if you want more specific. But I do know that we test for all national primary drinking water standards according to the EPA. So that is absolutely something that our water system does for everything that is required to be tested. Now, um, to Commissioner Bogan's uh, point, um, the PFAS issue is a different issue, and, and our team has been uh, monitoring this discussion and, and has been prepared to um, follow the EPA schedule once that comes out. But um, we have had some additional discussions, and I think we're ready to uh, move forward in a different direction today. But I, I would like to, Alan, if you want to come up and kind of address the testing issue, because you'll be able to... Uh, to answer Mr. McKenzie's more. question, if you would, Alan. Commissioner McKenzie, the answer to your question is, like Monica said, we test for the primary drinking water standards and also some secondary drinking water standards. Um, those are regulated to either the primary or the secondary group. Um, those are reported in the annual consumer confidence report. With the PFAS, that is an unregulated um, contaminant as of now, but if EPA passes the rule in December, it will be become a regulated, and my assumption is it'll be on that primary drinking water standard. I just don't know at that point what the EPA will um, require, because some, some of the primary standards they require every year, some they require every three years to be reported. Um, the secondaries are reported more, more regularly, mm -hmm. um, but so I, it's still to be seen where that'll fall on the testing, but once that rule passes, it will be a regulated contaminant. And then my third question is, I'll just keep it with this, because if we can't, and I know we probably don't have authority over the municipalities, can we just test our own 16 or 2 or 3, however many we have? But we could, well, we're pulling the water anyway, the valve, right? So, the, so we can just further send it down the road. With our 16 to do something, to, to appease the, the gentleman to my right. <laughs> um, and is this a one-time occurrence, or do you want this to be a part of the... Uh, practices of our sure uh, it should be twice a year uh, minimum I mean should, uh, right now mm -hmm. uh, I would suggest twice a year oh Sorry whose phone is that oh man that. man Alan. my bad I put money in the fine jar Monica's trying to call he me knows I tell him <laughs> <laughs> don't say this don't say this the answer to your question should be twice. I would suggest twice a year, but let's just do one. I just want to do one test. That's okay. all right now. One so far. Yeah, I don't think any results you get, I don't think you're going to see like a sudden drop off or a sudden increase, you know, because it's, it's going to be a difficult thing to clean up. Yeah, I just think the, the more we test, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really hurt us. I, I, don't think. I think it's just letting the, the, the residents know that we're trying to make sure the quality of the water is, exactly. is what it is. Because you read things all the time. I mean, you made an interesting point earlier um, that I, I probably never would have said anything about it until you said it. Um, the PVC pipes that, um, that run to our homes now um, is a, a possible um, housing um, of, of the, um, the X Factor. But as a builder, and when you look at what we did to the building codes, for older homes, we took out the galvanized pipes leading to the house, and PVC became that pipe mm -hmm. of choice. I mean, of not choice, but 
um, to code. And I know we can micro analyze this, and it could be this bottle, it could be this, it could be a whole lot Pizza of things. Pizza box, whatever it is. But whatever we can do, um, I think uh, would be fine moving forward. But I think just starting with our own right now, because I know I don't know that any of these elected in these other cities are going to allow us to come in and and uh, prove that their water is good or bad. I had one of the worst experiences with water in the city of Fort Lauderdale. So I'm used to being attacked about the quality or, or lack thereof of water, but uh, just giving people the information to me is, is, uh, is, is key. So those are my questions, and you answered them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner. I got two more folks before you, Commissioner Bogan, okay? Uh, Commissioner Rogers. My first question had to do with, do we have a policy here in Broward County? So that was answered, all right? As it relates to the other cities, there's no two standards because when I leave my city and I come to Fort Lauderdale or I go to Sunrise, I want to know that we have the same standards here in Broward County. If I go to Miami or Palm Beach, that's a different story. I'm on my own. So I am concerned that we're thinking that only Broward County system should be tested. I'm in agreement that we should follow the EPA or whomever regulates what we do, all right, because we're a Sioux City or a Sioux County or Sioux State or whatever. Just sue me and you get some money. And maybe that's what we are fearful of, but I would like for us to be in the know. We are here to offer the best, and you can't know you don't know if we're offering the best quality water at this point in time, not that I believe in bottled water, because I've visited some sites and I wouldn't want anything from that location because it's not covered, it's not protected, but folks believe in bottled water, but it's not the safest. So, however, as it relates to this test, I truly believe we should do it. And I believe we should give staff that period of time, I think, my colleague here has agreed or recommended or suggested that we give staff um, the two weeks to the next meeting to come up with something and tell us something different, something new. But after that two weeks, I'm ready to go because I would like to know and I think the public wants to know and they should know. That's, that's what we are here for, to make the tough decision. And I heard it, I'm glad it's on the table for discussion. I was waiting for the EPA, okay? Or whichever department that would regulate and tell us what it is, what the level is, and when am I gonna die from it 20 years from now? Or it's already in my system, who knows? Because it's new, and when something is new, we're all fearful, but it's best to know so you can get the right treatment and we can make the corrective measures necessary to make to give us the best water quality as we drink and counter. You know, that's, that's my position. I would like to know, and I don't want to wait six months because they can change their timeline, which affects us. We need to make, take the lead on Broward County, and this is one of the time I'll say go Broward County. I'm on the same page with you. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Thank Mayor. Thank you, Commissioner. Vice Mayor? That was meant for you. You were, you were up next. I'm a Broward County. So um, I just want to say that uh, I, I certainly recognize what Commissioner Bogan is, is trying to do here. Um, and obviously uh, we need to, 
ensure that we have safe drinking water. However, I, I do feel that we need to take a look at this a little further before to the next meeting only uh, to to um, kind of analyze what what we're going to do with this. We we are we know already because of the FIU publication that what what's, what we're going to find, um, and uh, I think what <laughs> that's that's the issue is then and then what, and I I'm just not feeling very good about uh, analyzing the water, putting the, the, the results out there, and really kind of uh, frightening people because we don't have an answer about what to do with it yet. And I think we need to prepare, educate, and, and figure out what we, what we are going to do when we get these results because we know we're going to get them. So, um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should take, you know, we should take the lead on it, but we should be prepared before we go out there and test and and then have the results but have no idea what to do with it. So that, that would be where I am. That's why I think we should go the two weeks till the next meeting and give us a chance to just put out like a little kind of a plan where we'll know what uh, what would be the next steps. Very good, Commissioner Dean. So I think that the takeaway from this that I look at this is Broward County has safe drinking water. We have amongst the safest drinking water in the nation. We can test this. I support what Commissioner Bogan is saying about testing it, but it doesn't really matter because we know how the tests are gonna come back. There is gonna be more than four parts per trillion of this in our water. This already exists. This is everywhere. This is a nationwide issue. It's in almost every product that you have. Any person that cooks at their house that uses a stick-free pan has this. It's in all our sludge. It's in all our waste. It's in all of our plumbing stuff. They're going to find it if they do the test. But what does that mean? And, and then what are you going to do? It's in most of your bottled water. If you put sunscreen on, it's in sunscreen. If you use almost anything, you have it. And then what, what Commissioner McKenzie said is also very much true. What are we doing next? Are we taking PVC piping out of houses? Are we going to pass an ordinance for that to do that? Commissioner Bogan's right. And his test is going to prove that it's right. And then what? And I'll leave it at that. So we can wait two weeks, but the EPA is going to come in and say when we find it, okay, so what? Your drinking water is still safe because our drinking water still is safe. And people are getting exposed to a lot worse things than this six parts per trillion of this that's in every product that we all use all day long including reverse osmosis water. They still get it because you're getting it from the container that they put in, the reverse osmosis water. This stuff is everywhere, and it's, I think we're creating a panic that we don't need to do. I, don't really, I really don't need two weeks to talk about this again. When the EPA comes down and says, I've heard Flint, Michigan mentioned. I've heard a lot of things mentioned. This is not that. This is, a na this is not that, and we're, and we're creating something that we really don't need to create. Commissioner Bogan's right. It's there. Okay. End of story as far as I'm concerned. All right. I'll do mine, then I'll let Commissioner Bogan uh, close, if that's okay. Um, and I, I agree, Commissioner Dean. I mean, what are we going to do when we show that it's there? Mr. Garcia, when I spoke, for instance, to the city of Pompano Beach yesterday, I mean, I, they told me since 2013 they have been required to test for these unregulated um, PSAPs. Is that correct? Mr. Garcia. Um, yes, I, I, it's not regularly though. What happened is in 2013, they, they put out these unregulated contaminated um, 
uh, monitoring, reporting. And so in 2013 and 2015, uh, two of the constituents in that were the PFOS, F-O-S, and PFOA. And so they made you test that. At the time, the health advisory level was 70 parts per trillion for the both combined. Um, at the time, the minimum reporting level for one of them was 40 parts per trillion, the other was 20 parts per trillion. We tested in 2013, 2015, and it was not detectable because the tests couldn't get down as low as they can today. But that's the last time that the utilities had to test for that. And then in 20, 2023, they came out with UCMR Rule 5, which says, okay, now we want you to test 29 components of PFAS and lithium. And, you've, and the EPA assigns those dates um, between 2023 and 2025. Our dates are in 2024, anywhere from April till the end of 2024 and a couple, and then you do a second test, and a couple of those second tests go into 2025. But all the utilities will have to test per that UCMR 5 rule. <coughs> so it was tested back then, but it wasn't like every single year, to my knowledge, any of the utilities were doing that test. It was just that one time that was required by EPA. So the test is coming back now, you're saying to so make, there's a new, so there's, there's going to be a new required, yes. rather unregulated, it's going to be regulated, so you're going to have to test what, starting December? So, so we'll be testing as part of an unregulated con contaminant, and so, and that's that's where it's a little bit different. What EPA has done usually they have the, the they do the UCMR rules, and based on those rules, they use that as guidance to set a new rule. This is sort of opposite. They're looking to set this rule by December, and nobody's even going to be testing the UCMR five rules probably till 2024 and 2025. Um, so. But once it does become a regulated um, component, then you're going to be testing probably every year or maybe every three years. Because, like I said, I don't think you're going to see big swings in the levels, um, you know, unless there's some event that, you know, provided a, a big slug of, you know, PFAS materials into the groundwater. And you had mentioned that, uh, I'll get to you, Mr. Beer, in a yeah. minute. Uh, um, you had mentioned earlier that if we test from the water plant then to the house, you could obviously get a different reading because you don't know what that water is going through, PVC, Calvary, whatever it is, so you could get a different reading at my home versus maybe my next-door neighbor, correct? It, it's very possible that you could take tests at 10 homes on the block and every single one of them will have a different level because the piping in the house, the agent piping, is it PVC, is it polyethylene, is it polybutylene? You know, there's different things, that, and each one has different levels of PFAS in it. Um, you know, some people have just nothing but copper in there without the lead lead solder. Um, so that would be different too. So it absolutely could differ. And from our perspective, we would be testing, you know, on the discharge side of the plant. Okay. So again, I understand Commissioner Bogan's uh, concern here. I'm trying to get where he needs to be, but I'm just also trying to be realistic is that, like I say, you test my house and you test Commissioner Dean's house, it's going to be totally different. It's there, it's going to be there whether it's going to be four parts or 50 parts or 10 parts or whatever. Um, I just don't, and again, what are we going to do? And I'll ask Commissioner Bogan to kind of expand on that. What are we going to do once we find out and we do find out that it's there? What is our end goal as a Broward County to do with it? So that's it. And let Ms. Sapir, then I'm going to turn it back to Commissioner Bogan for, yeah. for her landing. Thank you. And I just wanted to <clears throat> add on to something uh, Mr. Garcia shared is, um, you know, so, he talked about um, 
you know, R, you know, I forget the, the, the UCMR. rule. UCMR. UCMR 5, right? All right, so I'm learning That's a lot six, by five. the minute here, uh, both all my scientists and, and experts. But um, so based on what we knew was coming down the pike as far as, um, you know, the, the testing time frame, my understanding based on what my team is really trying to cram, I'm like, feel like I'm, I'm cramming for a final here, um, to, to really get up to speed on this issue from my experts. But um, based on what they have shared with me, we, our team was prepared um, for, to come out with an RFP in the December timeframe um, to get some consultants on board to help us to look at some pilot um, initiatives to see which testing or which um, treatment. Uh, treatment method would be the best one. So to look at three different types of treatment. Now this, they just hadn't had a chance to brief me on that yet, but they had been already working on something to come out in December. That's something I just learned a few minutes ago, actually. Um, so in December, they were prepared uh, kind, of, kind of with the timing of the EPA um, rule finalization to come out is to come out with an RFP so that we could get some consultants on on the on the back end to how to treat whatever is tested and found um, based on what that rule is because based on what um, that number is whether before PPT or maybe the 20 that was at one point we don't know based on um, what the EPA will rule um, the treatment methodology may differ uh, in what we attempt to um, to treat so um, and obviously the costs you know based on whatever you decide whatever we decide as a system the costs will have different implications so okay. um, just for you all to have that information as decisions are, are made moving forward so um, that is something that um, my team has yeah, advised that they were prepared to do that um, in advance of all this the other thing i learned was that um, what alan was describing about how they usually do these testings and then do the rule um, and they're kind of doing it a little bit out of sequence from what has typically been done. Um, this is another area um, that they're looking at, um, um, you know, doing, they're staggering the utilities timing all over the country to do this so that everyone's not doing it at the same time and overloading the capabilities and the capacity that is out there in the, um, in the testing world. Um, so our testing window was, is set for April of 2024, is that correct? That is correct for, for our District 1A plant, as an example, District 2A was set for September. And these were dates provided by EPA. You know, Pompano Beach may have a May 2024 test date. And there's two tests required at each plant for this UCMR 5 rule. Um, and they're, they're about, uh, 10, about six months apart, it looks like. So they okay. want you to test it six months apart and provide the results on this rule, which will be public record that will be submitted to EPA, all the utilities, if, okay. if you serve more than 10,000 customers. Commissioner Fauci, do you have one question? I mean, I, are we gonna go round two, really? I mean, I've got three people now going round two. Okay, not, no, we're not gonna get a motion because I'm gonna let Commissioner Bogan close and let him see if he wants to make a motion, but, but go ahead, Commissioner Rogers, real quick. If I was to recommend, yeah. I would say you want to test at the discharge site side of your treatment plant, because that's the only thing really we can control. You know, we, there's, there's not PFAS in our 
ductile iron pipes and stuff like that that I'm aware of. Um, you know, so you can't really control the on-site piping of the homes. So to me, it's the best to establish that. And then, you know, if somebody does have pipes that have a lot of PFAS in it, then they could look at other options to address that, you know, from their perspective, whether it's filters, whether it's pipe replacement, you know, whatever. Um, but, but my recommendation and how we're going to address it is right at the plant. As soon as the water is treated and finished, ready to go out into the system, we're going to test it there. Very good. Okay. Commissioner Furr? Just real quick, have they, has the EPA provided you with these? Standardized methodology. Yes, okay. for the testing. Yeah, they, they, they. I think there's two. Like it's either 533 and 537 tests. But you know, back when they first started talking about this, there's only one or two, maybe three, um, testing labs in the entire country that could get it down to four. Now there's a lot more because they're ramping up for that. But initially it was problematic. And that's why I think EPA spaced everything out. Okay, then Commissioner Bogue, you're going to close, and we'll ask for motions wow. at that point. Look at. Um, what Commissioner Udeen and others were saying how, you know, it's there and depending on what house, our job is to provide the cleanest water at the mm -hmm. discharge. If your house and your house and your house, that's not our responsibility exactly. and that's not our job. Our job is to provide the cleanest water at discharge. So talking about different homes to mm -hmm. me is is ridiculous. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We need to provide the cleanest water discharge. If someone wants to have old pipes at their home, that's their responsibility, not ours. Second, um, talking about uh, frightening people, look at, um, we've got, uh, you know, in my mind, in my opinion, we, we've got an obligation to the public. We have an obligation to the public. Waiting to 2024 is derelict. In my opinion, I might be wrong. We know two months ago what the EPA said. In my mind, as a lawyer, uh, counsel, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we should be acting immediately to avoid potential liability and everything. Waiting to 2024, with all due respect, Alan and I really appreciate all the time you've spent with me. Um, we're going to wait another year because, as Vice Mayor Rich said, well, we don't know what to do. But you actually do know what to do, and he's not telling you what to do because the answer is reverse osmosis, which you've talked to me about. You've talked to me about the three different options and why the other two may not be viable, but he doesn't tell you we do have an answer, and the answer today is reverse osmosis. Correct or incorrect? I, I would say... Am I correct or incorrect? Th let me answer the question. Anti-exchange might work, too. I just don't... No, there's still things that have to be hashed out in the regulation, and that may swing it, but, I mean... Certainly, reverse osmosis and nanofiltration right now on paper for South Florida appears to be the best. I'm not talking about Chicago, L.A. I'm talking about right here. Yeah. Okay. So the answer is, and Vice Mayor Rich, as you pointed out, like, we're going to get these results or, Commissioner, what are we going to do? Well, simple. We can have an answer. We have reverse osmosis. We have a solution. But, no, let's sit here and wait a year because... Commissioner Furr, all these other chemicals, I'd love you to talk about these other, I don't know why you're bringing it up on my thing, I think you should have another item talking about all these other horrible chemicals, by the way, can get rid of by reverse osmosis. All right, okay. Sorry, I don't mean to get That's so, so, so okay. passionate about it, but I've read, I've read, sorry, I'll tell you why I'm so, how PFS is entering America's water supply, how PFS is getting into our drinking water, what are PFS chemicals, how they're harming the planet, I mean, I've gone through hundreds of pages. I've had tons of talks with Alan and with Lenny. I'm not just coming up here out of my ass thinking, oh, let's just test. 
I'm going by all these articles and everything we've talked about. And, and so um, I, I did say, and I, I did say, I'm willing to wait. I, I just can't, next meeting I may not be here. Maybe the 13th, we could do it the 13th instead of the 6th. Um, be willing to wait on the condition that you agree to start, you don't need our authority to start doing a $600 test of our two water districts. We have two water districts, we provide 12% of water. Um, I'd like to know whether you would be, you test other chemicals, I don't understand why you would be needing our authority for this. Mr. Piero, do you wanna answer that question? Sure, I'm happy to. No, I, listen, I, you know, I don't do anything in a vacuum, and, and so when you saw me leave the dais a little while ago, I wanted to make sure I spoke with our team about um, you know, the best approach to, to, to addressing the concerns you've got, Commissioner Bogan and the commissioners. Um, we are happy to do um, testing in advance of what we are planning on doing um, at our two water plants, the county's two water plants. And, and as Alan said, it was Lauderdale Lakes, the 1A, and Pompano Beach 2A is the two water plants that we, that we have. So we're happy to do that, um, and we will do that. I know that when we send that off, it takes some time because we you know, send it off and it takes, I think it's been four to six weeks before we get it back. We'll do that. Um, and in the meantime, at the June 13th, that is the, the next uh, mm -hmm. meeting that you might be available, um, we will have uh, some, some framework by which to kind of move forward on this discussion um, with some costs on the treatment options and plans uh, for framework to start continually testing. When I say continually, maybe once a year, whatever the, the uh, EPA recommendations are for all this. Um, and, and we'll come, come with something back on June 13th. What, what, Mr. Bogan, that what, sounds like a good plan. I agree. When what you're also not being told, what I've been told is that um, if we, we could be a leader, right now we're not required to test. There's nobody out there saying, correct? The EPA is not saying you have to it's test today. Correct. It's December. But we could be a leader. We could get out there early. And then when federal funding comes, we could be first in line. And, and is, is that a, a potential accurate statement? Sure. Okay. So, so I think it's great to hear what, what Ms. Shapiro has said, and I, and I hope the consensus is on this board that which we're going to do and test. You're going to come back on the 13th with, with some results and some reporting. So no I don't results. know if we need to vote on that, Mr. No. Mr. Myers. I mean, I think the Mr. consensus Mayor, is here. just want to clarify, not results. Oh, not re Okay, because it take four to six weeks. Right. No. But you're going to bring additional information back. No, we, a process and a framework we'll bring back. But in the clear, meantime, you, we'll, you, you will the, do the two tests for yes, our two water districts. Yes, that's what she has said. Perfect. Yeah, immediately tomorrow. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was. Right the I was to, we will do it expeditiously. Whoa, 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 guys, 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 guys. He's drinking Diet Coke. I just want. I just want you to know that. Okay. Mr. Myers, he just inhaled. Mr. Myers, please. Thin parts. You don't. I don't think. I don't. It was a motion to discuss and direct. I think we okay. Is I think the board is okay with what Mr. Pierre was going to be doing. Does anybody object to that? Question. Yes, sir. If I can ask County Attorney, I, I, I put your microphone on. I slightly disagree with the legal analysis of my learned colleague. Um, I just want your opinion. Right now, we're assuming because every place has water. I don't want us to be subject to lawsuit, uh, which I believe Commissioner McKenzie mentioned, a litigious society. Um, if we Right now, we assume that there's PFAS in the water because we know it everywhere. If we test 
does that put us, make us more susceptible to lawsuits as a, which you could sue any water company in the United States, but if the others haven't tested and we have, does that make us more susceptible? This is one of the reasons why I just wanted this postponed until we're getting there. the 13th. Without status quo ante, before we take any other steps, just because I want to know from you know, the attorney, if this is putting us at risk, I've, I've agreed with what everybody has said, but you haven't agreed with each other. So though I, <laughs> we I like what all of you said, but I just want, I was suggesting just leaving it the way it is. If I can ask the county attorney, are we putting ourselves potentially more at risk by doing the testing before we've decided what we're going to do? Thank you, Senator. It's a difficult question to answer. And you don't uh, want to answer from the day it's Yes. However, what I, uh, what I will say is, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of discussion on this today. Uh, I want to circle back with, with my colleagues on this. It, it's a general principle, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Uh, I'm not an environmental law expert. I'd like to speak with my colleagues on it. If there is materially more risk uh, based upon doing this, uh, that's something I will personally alert you all to and explain uh, why there may be a reason to uh, go in a different direction than what the consensus is here today. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that that's the case. Uh, it, I don't know that a quick sidebar would, uh, would change the analysis, so uh, maybe a couple of hours of analysis with my colleagues later, I can confirm that. Okay, Mr. Mayor, okay. Then in that case, could I suggest I, we do what Commissioner Bogan has suggested on the 13th, assuming that the county attorney verifies that this is not putting us at any additional legal risk. Would you find that acceptable, Commissioner Bogan? Yes, I just wanted to let you know that I believe that letting the public know everything in their water is more important than a lawsuit. And if the county says, just want to be on record. If the county says we're not testing, I will have my office, I will pay for testing myself and come out publicly with those results. That's how passionate I feel about this because what's in that water to me is our responsibility to let the public know if there's nothing great. Alan said there was nothing, done nothing detectable years ago. You know, Dania Beach had a different result. But I, I, to me, you know, you have, we all have our thoughts, and I just want you to know where, you know, I, if, okay. if she does, if she changes her mind, I'm, I'm going to do she, the test she, myself. She's not going to change her mind, that's for sure. Commissioner Furr? Yeah, I, and I, I just, let me just okay. keep this where it is. The, we've been working on the South Florida Regional Planning Council, and we've been trying to figure out a way to get to advanced water treatment for a while now. And that's where you're going. That's where that's where this lead that's where this leads, which is a great place to go. It's absolutely the right place to go. We've been waiting for Alan's white paper for a while. At some point, this is going to come out. And what that is, and that that's what. Um, there's only one place that's done that, locally. It's Key West. They did a great job. Their entire water treatment is advanced water treatment, and the and. The reason why we should be doing that is because all of our ocean outfalls had to be closed by 2025. That's, you know, that's legislation that went into effect 20 years ago. But, it, but you still have 
uh, wastewater treatment plants that are discharging not just PFAS. It is a long list of things. And, and you're, you're kind of, I just, I just want to kind of let you know, it's not just, it's just not that. There's so many other little things. And I don't want us to be looking at it in a vacuum. Because the, the bigger picture is how do you change your entire wastewater treatment plant? That's what it comes down to. And your water treatment plant. And how do you get it to a, you know, the technology is there. It's, it's, it's being used, California, where they, they, they take it right from the toilet bin, you can drink it, boom. I know it's ick, there's an ick factor there. But there's an ick factor. But that's kind of where, so that you don't pollute it at all, right. that's where it has to go. So I, want, you know, I don't want it to be done in a vacuum, that's all. I don't want it to say, this is, you know, we're gonna let you see this one thing on PFAS. Well, those other 20 things that are not being Right. dealt with aren't being dealt with yet. But you know reverse osmosis deals with a lot I, of I other know. things. Hollywood has reverse osmosis. You, they have nanofiltration. Right. I know. I know. You I know, know it deals with all those other chemicals. Uh, no, it doesn't. A lot of them. No, it doesn't. Alan, uh, No, it doesn't. You want to address that? It does not. I was I'm telling you does. that. Right. It does not One have at the, time. That's One why, at a time. That's why you, it is not that simple. Don't let it, don't, right, Alan? It does not. I said right out. <laughs> so what I'm going to ask Mr. Simple. Garcia to address right. what, what reverse because, osmosis gentlemen, might please. be able to Hold on. It doesn't deal with the pharmaceuticals. It doesn't deal with the, all that stuff. We're gonna, all the stuff that fl gets flushed down, everybody's medicines and stuff, it doesn't deal with any of that. And gonna, so that's why you have to have an advanced water treatment let plant him, let, let that does all Commissioner Furr, finish up. Are you finished, Commissioner Furr? I am. Okay. Mr. Garcia, you could answer that specific question, okay? So it's my it's my understanding um, that the RO um, reverse osmosis does take out a lot of those um, pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. Now, some of them are really, really, really tiny, and I don't know if it gets 100%, but it definitely removes a lot of them. You know, it, it is, you know, it's it's the Cadillac gold standard of treatment when you run it through either nano or, or, or reverse osmosis. It's, okay. Okay. That's the other part. That's yeah. The, that's the See, part. he did answer that correctly. All I, all I wanted him to answer that specific question. There's another level. Okay. I have Vice Mayor to make a comment, and then yeah. Senator Geller. <laughs> but I, what I want to do, what I want to do after, after the Vice Mayor has spoken, I want to I wrap it up here. Okay? It's enough. Because okay. I don't want to get us into an issue legally. So what I want to do is I want to have Ms. Sapiro. Ms. Sapiro, you're going to end up suggesting what we're going to do. We're going to make that form of a motion. Okay? I'll All yield right. my time to the Vi chair. Vice Mayor. Okay. So I just want to make it clear for my colleague, Commissioner Brogan. Okay. Many of us didn't have the benefit of all the conversation and the background that you have worked on. Okay? So what, why I think that this two weeks is a good idea okay, is because I've learned a lot today just listening to what Mr. Garcia had to say, what you had to say, what other people have had to say, and I feel that it's important for us to, to have a plan on paper where you bring it back to us in two weeks where we can, you can recommend what you think we need to do and, and we'll, we'll all look at the plan and we'll say yes, we'll move ahead with it. So it's just, I, don't, I just don't wanna be responding or voting on something 
where I don't feel I have the background. And now I have some more because of our conversation today and you, your pieces that you brought to us. But I just think that it's a good idea to go for this two weeks, and then we'll come back. We're actually going to go to June 13th is what we're going to go to. We're going to go June 13th. So, Ms. Sapiro, Ms. Sapiro, would you repeat what you had suggested we do? And then I'm going to have Senator Geller hopefully make that motion. Senator, this is the last question. I'm telling you right now, the last question on this item, okay? Go ahead, Senator. Okay, I'm going to yield my time to the chair. <laughs> I, I get a second, right? Yes. Let me ask a question, because I chair the water board. We've looked at reverse osmosis and been told that it is extremely expensive and very energy intensive, um, and that that's the reason why most places in Florida don't use that, which is why, you know, again, I'm more convinced. Now that I understand that, the, that Commissioner Bogan's goal is to make us move to reverse osmosis, which will be, I don't know how many billions of, of dollars. Do you, can you tell us uh, how much ballpark or re reverse osmosis would cost and, again, what effect that would have on energy consumption? So we've seen the prices actually drop on that to where right now we're looking at an estimate of 5 to $6 per gallon as a capital cost. So for R2, the, the District 1A and 2A treatment plants that Monica referred to, we're looking at anywhere from $150 million to $250 million to put RO in both those plants. Now, pre-PFOS days, people looked at RO when they, had to, when they were losing their Biscayne well, uh, Biscayne aquifer source and had to go down to the Floridan. That's when they were jumping to um, RO because the more saline. So initially, RO was... Hey, it's a great way to take the salt out of the water, and, and you know now we look at it. It's got these other benefits, okay? Because it cleans you know a bunch of constituents and contaminants out of the out of the water. Um, but yeah, we're looking at that. And I, I asked my uh, finance. He just asked a question, Mr. Garcia. Okay. All he asked was about the cost. Sure. Okay. One hundred fifty to two hundred fifty for for both plants. Thank you so much. Okay, and Ms. are you ready for motion? Um, no, I'm ready, Mrs. Sapiro, to recap what she said she suggested we do, then we're going to hopefully form that into a motion, and we're going to have a vote on it. So as I understand the direction and the request that I've received from you all today, um, we will go ahead and expeditiously um, test at our two water treatment um, uh, plants in Lauderdale Lakes and Pompano Beach, 1A and 2A, as, as Alan, Mr. Garcia um, shared. And in the meantime, while that is being sent off and we're waiting for the results, we will um, get together uh, with our team and prepare a framework and a plan that we will bring back to you all on June 13th um, to discuss and, and give you, uh, you know, have an opportunity to brief you all and, and have some more education in that period of time. So I think that's a great way to put a motion together, Senator. Would you do that for me? Move what she said. Yes, thank you. It's been moved by Senator Geller and seconded by Commissioner Furr. Any further discussion? Yes. That was a, she lined out Commissioner Bogan to the T. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries eight to zero. Thank you. That concludes item 68. We are now on non-agenda at this particular time, and then we'll move, of course, to our closed shade session at that particular time. So we're going to begin with Commissioner Udine. Okay. Commissioner Bogan, do you have any non-agenda items? I don't know if you wanted me to read you these articles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for uh, 
problem. Commissioner McKenzie, do you have any? Uh, Mayor, I would like to read into record the articles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All righty. Vice Mayor, do you have any non-agenda items? I do. I do. Uh, I just want to mention that on the um, 18th of May last, last week, uh, the mayor and I both were had the privilege of uh, speaking at a, a, a groundbreaking for the new Douglas Gardens residences in Pembroke Pines. And uh, once completed, this, these residences will, be, will provide uh, over 410 uh, fully accessible units for residents, 62 and older. 310 of them are, 390 of them are affordable, uh, and 20 are market rate. Uh, wonderful team uh, that is working on this, uh, uh, building it, and it's in partnership with the Miami Health Systems, uh, Jewish Health Systems, uh, which is noted for uh, its kind of uh, um, uh, um, uh, expertise in this area. Um, and I just can't overstate how critical this is for seniors who are seeking access to affordable housing. Uh, we don't have to go into what it all is, but it's it's so important and they'll now have this added security these seniors of knowing that there will be an affordable place uh, for them uh, where they can age in dignity. So um, and Mayor Ordis was there as well as some of his commission and um, uh, also I thank Prenboke Pines because they are one of our cities along with uh, a few others Pompano Beach being one Fort Lauderdale but Hollywood but uh, who, who really has made a commitment um, in this area. Um, and then I just want to mention that it's been uh, Jewish Heritage Month uh, this, this month, and we had a wonderful event that the Bar Association had. They recognized two outstanding judges um, uh, with a, an award. It's called the Pursuers of Justice, um, and it's celebrating uh, these, these uh, judges for their commitment. And I have to say that um, one of them is a retired judge, Judge uh, Jeffrey Streitfeld, um, and uh, he, um, he was elected first in 1990 and is now uh, retired. He, he, after the first time he was elected without opposition, very outstanding judge. And then of course my friend, Representative Ari Porth, who I served with in the legislature. And Ari, um, I, I must say, uh, Ari has, has uh, taken the lead on all the mental health issues within the court system, and he is, um, just wanted to just mention, he, is, uh, he sits on the felony mental health court bench, he chairs the 17th Circuit's Mental Health Task Force, and he's the, on the executive board of the Florida Conference of Circuit Court Judges, and he's just doing an outstanding too, job too, and it was, a, it was a wonderful thing to be able to recognize them. And then lastly, I just want to mention there has been an article, which is a little disturbing, but I wanted, and Monica, I'd like you to hear this, please, too, so that you could bring back uh, my high respect for Allison Grubbs and uh, what she has done with regard to creating uh, book sanctuary zones. Um, they actually are, um, uh, are, are providing an opportunity for people to have library cards and, and to show books that have been banned in this state. Um, and she's gotten some extremely uh, strong flack against this. It's really outrageous. I understand she's gotten some really serious uh, uh, emails and, and things uh, against her on this. But I want to just say that 
there has been a, 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 a suit filed uh, against Escambia County School Board, and that was by uh, Penguin Random House in conjunction, which is one of the nation's largest <laughs> publishers, in conjunction with Pen America, uh, which is a free speech organization. And uh, um, our, our, libra our, our, our library and our librarian, Allison Grubbs, has really uh, offered a safe sanctuary for, for these books. And I want to just say, she said, it's a vital part of my mission to ensure that freedom to read is not compromised. The right to think, speak, and learn freely are foundational values in our democracy and in our libraries. Couldn't agree with her more. And I uh, uh, just thought it was interesting that a political strategist who's well known as a Republican um, actually responded to an article that, was, that came out and he, and he said, there are times when principle and courage are much more valuable than money, if only because they are in short supply. This is such a time. And I think we can all here agree with that. So please extend our congratulations and thank you for her, her courage and, and uh, her commitment to the mission that she stands for. Thank you. Thank you, Vice. Thank Mr. you. Fern. And on that same note, I was just asked to be on the um, curriculum collaborative, which will be the committee that will be looking over all banned books. Oh. And reviewing them all. Great. Are you the only elected <laughs> a librarian in the country? Yes, yes. How did you know? <laughs> did you know that? How did you know that? <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm actually looking forward to it. It is a diverse wow. committee that's going to be probably a, you know, a little bit of a hotbed. But I'm glad I'm there. Um, we already talked about that. It was great with the Lauderdale Transit Center. We talked about that uh, being the uh, uh, first gold. Seal, that was great. Um, I had an E town hall, I think I already mentioned this. Um, and we had about a thousand people on there uh, dealing with all the Primo stuff nice. and all the, all the stuff with the surtax. That was great. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to be going up to the South Florida Water Management District um, with, with regard to what we're doing at the South Florida Regional Planning Council and asking them not to roll back their taxes Good. so that there's money for the CNS study as well as for all of the work going in the future which is going to be four to ten million billion dollars um, and then on june 2nd the 16 county coalition and i guess i'm going to ask for consensus here unless we, we don't have really have a representative right now uh barbara shreve was our representative okay but i i would like to go up there and present what we're doing at the south florida regional planning council Essentially the same message. You have, Ask, the, you have the blessing, sir. Okay, all right. I just essentially asking them not to roll back that. And uh, finally, I was, I was honored to be at the ceremony with the P3 Eco Challenge Awards. This is to all the deserving students and teachers in Broward County who came up with great environmental ideas. And uh, mm -hmm. they've, they've, our department has just done a great job in collaboration with, uh, with Broward County Schools on that. Um, it's been going on for I think 11 years now, and has been uh, has, has been brought a lot to fruition. So I think that's all I got. Thank you. There you go. Yep. Senator Geller. Thank you. Um, since we met last, I spoke to both the Broward Workshop and a joint Broward uh, Palm Beach Water Board delivered the same message to both. Um, we're going to be underwater, and there's very little that we can do about it because we know how to fix it, 
It's going to be a lot of money. We've known how to fix it for years. And five years ago, the Army Corps told me they could do it in 15 years. Two months ago, they told me they could do it in 15 years. And I predict in four years from now, they'll tell us they can fix it in 15 years. We are a subtropical rainforest or subtropical monsoon climate. And in another give or take 12 years or so, um, whenever it rains, we're just not going to be able to drain because of sea level rise. So buy houseboats, buy arcs, maybe buy canoes, because what happened in Fort Lauderdale um, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, is not going to be that unusual when we can't drain anymore. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of town meetings, and that's it. Um, no, but I will be building up my house. I've got, you know, I'm getting a boat. <laughs> Senator, Senator, thank you. Thank you. Are you complete? Are you done? Yeah, he was asking. I know. Are you, no, you're good. Commissioner Roger. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I, I'm just bragging here thank tonight, you, today. This last week has been extremely busy at District 9. Most importantly, we have had our housing town hall meeting. We connected with residents and provided a lot of resources and had over 200 people in attendance, not virtually, in attendance. That's hard to get. So we're proud of District 9 staff. We celebrated Haitian Flag Day, kicked off Emancipation Day, and District 9 was front and center at UNIFES. And special thanks to those that attended and the supplies that was given to us for giveaways. We appreciate you. Tomorrow, District 9 is hosting a business workshop at the Sunrise Senior Center at 10650 West Oakland Park Boulevard between 5 and 6.30 p.m. in Sunrise with Sandy McDonald, Roderick Harvey, CPA, and the SBA for those businesses who experienced loss during the flooding in April. I continue to fill my board vacancies if you're looking for a board appointment, please call me, 954-357-7009. Lastly, have a safe Memorial Weekend. Memorial Thank weekend. you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Commissioner Ryan. I just wanted to mention uh, one item, and I spoke with the uh, county administrator about this. Um, there's been some recent um, um, discussions about uh, Medicaid enrollment and um, the fact that um, the, the federal government now has authorized the states to, um, to look at eligibility for Medicaid enrollment. And as a result of it, um, it started in April and a lot of letters came out from, uh, from ACA, um, uh, Department of Children and Family Services, uh, to Medicaid eligible uh, uh, residents throughout the state. And as a result of it, uh, approximately 250,000 uh, Medicaid enrollment, uh, excuse me, Medicaid enrollees have been removed from the rolls, and this is just um, in the last two months. So this trend is continuing, and um, you know I think it's uh, very concerning because probably about half of the persons that are being removed from the Medicaid rolls actually uh, continue to be eligible. But they are not responding to the, uh, you know, the, the written 
letters um, and perhaps, uh, I don't know if it's emails that are coming uh, from uh, DCF uh, to these Medicaid enrollees. So, um, you know, I discussed with the county administrator about what efforts we might undertake um, to kind of proactively uh, reach out to these uh, residents and let them know uh, two things. One, that if they um, are disenrolled, uh, there is an opportunity for them to uh, go back and with the appropriate documentation to get re-enrolled. And secondly, if they are no longer eligible, there are additional programs that, um, that the county um, um, has that uh, persons can, um, can participate in. And I spoke with um, you know, our deputy county administrator, Kim Campbell, and uh, she directed me over to the, uh, to the website that you know, provides information on these programs. But you know, my concern is that uh, unless we're a little bit more proactive here at the county, uh, we're gonna have a number of residents that are gonna lose Medicaid eligibility and uh, you know, then they end up um, in the hospital because they're not getting the uh, appropriate uh, you know, preventive care and uh, you know, maintenance of their various illnesses. So um, you know, my, um, um, my um, you know, request to, to you, Monica, is uh, can you think of, and perhaps Kim can join in on this, uh, of some actions that we could take proactively uh, to reach that, uh, that Medicaid population and uh, you know, communicate with them about how important it is to uh, maintain their um, eligibility. So thank you, uh, Commissioner. And, and I know that you did speak with uh, uh, Deputy Administrator uh, Campbell last night as well. And I think that she has um, got some better information on that of what we're doing and what um, we're looking at doing. So Kim, if you wanted to chime in on that. Sure, we do have the website. It's broward.org slash Medicaid, which has the link to the redetermination uh, form that Medicaid recipients need to complete in order to determine their eligibility going forward now that the expanded criteria has come to an end. Um, beyond that, we have a network of providers that also serve Medicaid patients that we can coordinate and provide information to. We've got a toolkit that was developed by DCF and tailored to Broward County, and so we can push that out in the, the systems of care that the Human Services Department manages. They have direct access to the patients and clients. Um, the county does not have um, identifiable information um, in that regard, but we can leverage our relationships with our network. I think yes, in our earlier discussions, that was the concern is whether or not we had available information, public information that would allow us to proactively, you know, reach out to that particular Medicaid eligible population. So uh, you're, you're working on that collaboratively through the providers and, uh, you know, thank you for that response. I think Vice Mayor has been working on that as well. Yeah, I would just like to mention that the Coordinating Council of Broward actually start, started, we pulled together, which is made up of all the large human service agencies in the community, including the hospital districts, the school board, uh, United Way, you know, it's, it's uh, every large agency. Um, and then Margaret and her folks, Stapleton and her folks here at, at the uh, county picked up on all the information that all the different providers brought together, not only just the the one that came from DCF, but some other information from the providers, and it's all on the website. And then all of these other entities are putting this out to all of their people, all their networks. So we're 
we're having, a, I think, a fairly decent response, in, not so much in the state, but I will say in Broward County, it appears that we're having a fairly good response to this. And, and, and a lot with kid care. That's what made the difference. Yeah, especially with kid care. We're trying to get a lot of these kids, uh, you know, to connect to, into kid care. So we have uh, those folks are on the calls also, so that we're all trying to work together. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, very good. Before I wind up, uh, Mr. Pierre, anything? Yes, and I don't want to take too much time, but I, I would be remiss if I did not share the excitement of our county team. So as you all know, the National Association of Counties, NACO, every year they go through an innovative government program and services review. Um, and this year we won the most awards we've ever won in the history of Broward County. It's just announced we won 17 um, NACO awards. So. Um, as breaking news, uh, I'm going to share all the details later with you all and, and, and publicly, but um, we're just really fortunate to have such an innovative and creative team um, that are out there doing just remarkable work. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to share that news. I also want to um, share, as you always know, I'd like to take a, a moment to share some successes of our team. Um, I'd like to today share some news on one of our nurses at um, Nancy J. Cotterman. Nadine uh, Eubanks uh, was recently chosen as one of the Sun Sentinel's 2023 nurse honoree uh, for 25 years of being a dedicated nurse. Uh, so congratulations to you, Nadine, on that. I um, want to remind everyone about um, our OESPD uh, Broward and Beyond Business Conference that's taking place Friday, uh, June 2nd at the Signature Grand. Um, and then lastly, and very excitedly, um, please tune in to TNT tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Um, if you Panthers. can't make it to the game, um, the Panthers will be hopefully sealing the deal and, uh, and securing our spot in the Stanley Cup Finals. So thank you. Thank you. Bob, anything? Mr. Melton? Drew, anything you have? Okay, I'll just wind up real quickly. Um, congratulations uh, to Lardy by the Sea for being nominated for the United States, USA Today's 10 Best Reader's Choice Awards for the best beach in the South. So the deadline for voting was yesterday, so the winners will be announced on June 2nd, so hopefully Lord of IC can bring that home. Um, special thanks we talk about, Monica, about you know thanking our folks again. This week is celebrating National Public Works Week with uh, Trevor Fisher and his team, and uh, Public Works team obviously worked around the clock once again uh, on our April 12th prior to and, and after. Just want to thank them for all they did and recognize them. Uh, past events, uh, yesterday I had the chance to celebrate our airport with Spirit Airlines as they celebrated their 30th anniversary. Amazing, they've been here for 30 years. Number one airline uh, is right. So uh, it's great to be with, uh, with the CEO and, and Ted and, and all those guys. So the MPO in collaboration with the cities of Deerfield Beach, Pompano Beach, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, and Holly, Hollandale Beach launched the new rail safety program. It's very apropos we talk about this, but don't risk it. And it raises awareness of the dangers and reckless behavior around trains and railroad crossings and reduce the rising accidents, the rates in this region. It's very horrific what we go through on that. Future events, I, I was promised I would read this. Looking forward to attending the South Florida Anchor Alliance Regional Marketplace launch event on Thursday, May 25th at the West Regional Library at 10.30 a.m. 11 of South Florida's most influential institutions have partnered South Florida Anchor Alliance to create a streamlined one-stop shop for small and local businesses to scale by gaining easier and greater access to procurement opportunities. The event will be open to all small businesses. You can call the OESPD at 954-357-6400 for more information and walk-ins are surely welcome. 
And last but not least, we also want to, every time we can, to brag about one of our own. And I think it's apropos that we brag about our vice mayor. Uh, she was not present on Friday evening, but I had the pleasure of um, accepting an award for her from the Broward Partnership Salute to Leadership. Uh, she was awarded the Nan Rich uh, Leadership Award for the County and Assistance for Gap Financing for Affordable Housing. And so she was actually in Washington, D.C. I have to brag about that as her granddaughter was graduating from a law school, right? Georgetown Law School. So, so obviously that was more important this award. But uh, so I took her place, and uh, so congratulations. I understand you won a diamond bracelet. Uh, yeah, something like that. I don't know what it was, but uh, he won the he won so, so it was great to. Uh, it was crazy. So I was glad to be there. Um, and, and auction off, right? I was with him Saturday night. He did a great job auctioning. We did. Broward Health event. So. Anyway, great meeting, great dialogue today. Uh, we're going to move into, of course, uh, I'm going to read into the record item number 66, and then the executive session we will have beginning uh, hopefully in about 15 minutes, about 315, uh, during collective bargaining. At this particular time, the public portion of this meeting is now adjourned, so we don't have to come back once we do our collective bargaining. So great meetings. We'll see you in about 10 minutes right there in the next down this hallway. Thank you.